out of the park baseball is already the best baseball simulator out there and it's gotten even better with the release of their new perfect team mode perfect team is their foray into the ultimate team card collecting modes that have revolutionized the online experience for sports games if you already have ootp 19 then you have perfect team just go to the home page and click perfect team on the right hand side and you'll begin with your six starter packs to build the team. And from there, you can choose to open more packs or dive into the robust auction house and use perfect points to craft the team that you want. The depth of players is truly amazing with a card for every player present on an MLB roster, as well as legendary throwbacks like Babe Ruth, Walter Johnson, Cy Young, like Daryl Strawberry, Larry Walker, Manny Ramirez, all the way down to novelty players like Bob Euchre and Snuffy Sternweiss. That's right. I said Snuffy Sternweiss. That's a real player. Once you have your team, you build your lineups, you build your rotation, you pick the strategy that you want. You want to run a small ball team. You want to be a full sabermetrician. You want to be somewhere in between. You want to run an unorthodox. You can choose you know, how often that you're stealing, how often you're using shifts, the slowness or quickness of the hook for pitchers and relievers. A lot of detail there that you can set for the team and how it will run during the simulations. Uh, and once you set all that, you submit your team and the game simulates outcomes every 30 minutes from 9 a.m. to midnight central. Seasons run from Monday to Sunday with every day of the week covering a month and then Sundays covering the playoffs. Will you make the playoffs and be promoted to the next level or finish with one of the worst records in the league and possibly face relegation down to a previous level? Download the game for just $20 at ootpdevelopments.com and use code SLEEPER19 for a 10% discount at checkout. That's ootpdevelopments.com. Welcome to the Fireside Chat, presented by Rotographs and PitcherList. Sit back, relax, and enjoy Paul Sporer and Nick Pollock. Welcome to episode 641 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It's Friday, February 8th. I'm your host, Paul Sporer, and it's time for another fireside chat. So I'm joined by Nick Pollock. Nick, how's it going? What is happening? It's been an exciting week. We've got some starting pitching rankings to talk about. Yes, we do. It's uh, By the way, I want to offer my congratulations to you. You are a big part of this podcast with the Fireside Chats, and so you're every bit uh, due congratulations for the FSWA award that we brought home. So I appreciate you being a part of this and, and doing the Firesides. I've absolutely loved them, and I can still remember driving home from the movies that day thinking <laughs> to myself, all this Luis Castillo stuff, I'm like, I got to call Nick, and then I left you that. 10-minute rambly message, and that was the birth of Fireside. You know, I still have that voicemail on my phone. I haven't deleted it yet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, it's an honor to be a part of it, and uh, really, congratulations to Spore. You put so much work into thank this. You. It's your baby, and uh, you deserve it. Congrats, man. Thank you, thank you. I really do appreciate that. And uh, like you said, we do have pictures to talk about. It's been an exciting week. We both released lists. You've been doing it in, in packs of 20. I dropped the 120 on Monday. We always talk about how the Super Bowl finishing is the start of fantasy baseball, and we held that that picture list 4.0 is up. You guys got to go check it out. There's so much fantastic stuff going on. But I was most looking forward to your rankings coming out so that we could discuss. So right now you sent me your 80. There's going to be it's going to be up to 130 tomorrow. Right now you can go see the top 60, right? Yeah, you can see the top 80 right now. The 80 because yeah. you brought the other yeah the another 20. 20 it's pretty much every today. 20 every morning. It's going to be called yes. the top 100, and then I'm just going to ramble at the end because <laughs> yeah, because then there's a bunch of guys coming after that. Yeah, we'll talk about it a little more in depth. But man, there's just such a realm of guys that I can see so many arguments for to be 
even like top multiple 60 globs. that I didn't even yeah. do. So There's we'll get into it. absolutely multiple globs. And so what we're going to do is we're going to talk about some differences that we had on the high and low end of each of the 80s. Um, and then we're going to get into some of the you're high, you're much higher, I'm much higher. And then I have some questions for you at the end. But I want to talk about the landscape at large. You already kind of hinted at it that, you know, I, I coined the stupid uh, glob it's thing last stupid. year. Which, it, thank you. I appreciate that. I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't fishing. But, you know, just the glob talking about how there are these giant pools where you might have somebody at, at 31 and another guy at 64 and someone says, I really like the guy at 64 over you guy you have at 31 and they make, they make their case and you're like, that makes sense. Like there isn't as much of a gap as maybe 33 ranks would make you believe. Right. But we have to put a number next to everybody. And so it, it creates these perceptions in, um, you know, it, as far as large gaps that aren't necessarily there. And I think there are multiple globs and you've now had a chance to really deep dive the landscape since your early rankings back, I think in late October, early yeah, November. Uh, it's the first week of October. Yeah. Yeah. So early, early October, what have you seen since then and where are you on the pitching landscape? And you've talked about some of your strategy that's altered as you've done some drafts. Yep. So where are you on that as well? Oh man, this is, there's so much to discuss. <laughs> um, I mean, this is, this is how I'll start this. I remember last year on these fireside chats, we would talk about how there weren't that many exciting pitchers, right? That there mm -hmm. were a lot of guys that maybe could do something, but really we just felt week to week that we just, kind of felt lost because a guy that maybe we could get excited about then he'd do poorly and we didn't have so many of you know we had Marquez go great we had Wheeler go on the second half fine but we kind of expected it out of Bueller a little bit out of Flaherty and there wasn't much else to really get excited about now I feel it's going to be a lot different this year going through these ranks I felt there were so many cases to be made for so many pitchers I'm just looking at yours right now and I say yep I could see Matthew Boyd there I could see Waka there I can see Glasnow there I can see Lucchese there I can see Gibson there etc everyone I'm like yeah I totally understand that and I feel that actually at the end of this year we're going to be saying how much depth there is entering 2020 drafts uh, I really do believe that it's going to be like this massive brawl of all of these pitchers they're going to try and do their you know expressor upside and we're going to see all these guys pop out and i wouldn't be surprised if a lot of the people we talked about today have a sub three era after april i mean it's just there's so many yeah. guys to to go after that the, the, some of them are going to really excel and surprise us and i don't know which one it'll be but hopefully we're shooting the right darts and hopefully we're doing it the right way that we can at least get one or two of them um but i well, but that's my approach going into drafts is i want to be involved in as many of these lottery tickets as possible because there's just so many to go for and i feel that even if you miss out on one there'll be another one off the wire to go get um, so that's a lot of my thought process when making my ranks this year and i think one of the tougher things is being able to balance the flexibility of adjusting when when things change in those short samples versus sticking to your guns of somebody who isn't getting the results but maybe is still performing well or has his stuff mm -hmm. that's still there and you know a couple homers in a, in one game have boosted his ERA by 2 points higher than you really think it should be he's toting like a 550 and you're like no this is a mid 3s guy but he has that one blow up start hanging on him um and and you want to balance that right because you do want to churn and, and make sure that you have a chance to get in on some of the early starters who become the the year's studs Versus not cutting somebody too early. And I don't have the right answer for that, right? It's definitely a feel thing. It's a league context thing. It's a how the rest of your team is made up thing. It really is something that that 
you have to be you being the, the fantasy owner have to be flexible with and understand what you do best. We talk about this sometimes when we're talking about a particular pitcher. Rich Hill is the first one that comes to mind because he's yes. kind of the ultimate example. <laughs> if you don't want to manage that headache, don't draft him. Right. He's going to be good. The 120 innings that you get, they're almost certainly going to be good, even at age 67, I think. I, no, he's, I think his 66th birthday just happened. Um, but, you know, th- there's certain guys that you're going to have to manage differently. And if, you, if that's not the kind of fantasy manager you are, don't take them. And you know how you manage. And if you don't want to wait on some of these speculation guys, then don't take them. If you can't deal with volatility, Take the safer guy. If you like to deal with the volatility like you, you love being on the market. You do your your uh, roundup every day, and so you're already looking at the free agent market. You're burning and churning. The bottom of your lineup is going to be burn and churn because you're open to that. You're very attuned to the player profile or to the player pool at that point. So that's another whole other wrinkle even after you get to the draft table get your guys feel comfortable with them now you got to go through the six months so it's going to be awesome we're here to guide y'all through it hopefully our work on both fan graphs and pitcher list as well as these fireside chats helps you get through it but without further ado let's get started let's go let's start with some top 80s that you had that didn't make my top 80 they did still make my list but they didn't quite make the top 80 and i want to start with one I'm gonna name the I'm gonna name all of them here, but we're only gonna highlight three. And if folks want further questions, they can always hit us up on Twitter at Spore at PitcherList if they want to know more about these discrepancies. But it's Matt Strom, who have we have an 82 point difference on, Jared Eikhoff, 54 point difference, and you're at 67, 66 with them. Actually, I'll read the rankings at the end. Uh, Derek Holland, 42 points. Merrill Kelly, 36 points. Jesus Lazardo. 31 points, Nick Kingham, 80 points, or excuse me, 29 points, uh, Julio Urias, 26 points, and Jeff Samarja, 24 points. And Nick has Strom at 67, Eikhoff at 66, Holland at 57, Merrill Kelly at 69, nice, Jesus Lazardo at 62, Nick Kingham at 80, Julio Urias at 61, and Jeff Samarja at 70. The first one we're going to highlight is Matt Strom. Like I said, that's a sharp – that's our biggest difference out of anything that we have, 82 points. And basically for me, it looks like obviously I just kind of had him in that cluster there. It's definitely one of those cases where if you told me you liked him more at uh, 108 versus 149, I can understand. But you have him at 67, so that's still a very stark difference. Talk to us about the lefty Matt Strom out in San Diego and what you like about him. Obviously, you're projecting him to get a role here. But do do give us further detail about Matt Strong. Right. Uh, so he's at 67 on, on my list. And at 67, uh, just to give more clarity to that, I have essentially like Julio Urias at 61 and Lozardo at 62. Pitchers that I don't know necessarily even what kind of role they're going to have out of the gate. And we'll probably mm-hmm. have to wait for it. It's pretty much saying, hey... Uh, I don't expect these guys to go in the top 16 rounds or so. This is really like your 20 to 23 at this point uh, for, for for me. So moving on, all I'm trying to do is figure out, okay, the 20th round and forward, what lottery tickets am I going to take now and then maybe adjust even through the spring if I'm drafting today? Or maybe this will be different at the end of spring training for you know once we see the clarity of Strom's role for the San Diego Padres. So the way I see it is I'm going to take that chance as of right now that Strom is going to start. They do not have a great rotation in San Diego. How dare you? <laughs> Brian Mitchell, Eric Lauer, 
and Luis Perdomo are avid listeners <laughs> of this show, and you're just going to crap on them with Joey Lucchesi and Robbie Erwin at the top? How dare those you? Those are your Paul? names. You said those names. I didn't. Uh, <laughs> you know, do you know the nickname I have for Eric Lauer? It's, no, it's tell me. L-O-L, um, where it's E-L with the first one, so then it's O-L, so Eric Lauer only losses. <laughs> uh, so L-O-L. Um, it's kind of funny that Eric Lauer of all people has has a nickname because for those that don't know, maybe this is your first fireside. Nick has a lot of uh, great nicknames for guys. His mnemonic devices are are second to none for all sorts of pitcher stuff. So you have a lot of great nicknames. The fact that you even took the time <laughs> to give Eric Lauer one is you know, impressive. It, it, it's, it happens during SB roundups when I write them at like 1 a.m. after all the games exactly. are done. And it's just pure delirium having fun. Uh, but anyway, Matt, Matt Strom, I really do feel should leave camp as the starter. He has said that I'm going to camp as a starter. They even tried to push him as one uh, from the bullpen last year. He opened for three innings or so, or maybe sometimes four. Um, and I actually featured him on Rotographs. Uh, I think it's still even on Strom's page, um, yes. highlighting Matt Strom, the starter, saying, okay, if he does start, this is what he brings to the table. And I really do feel that what Matt Strom brings to the table is if he has like 250 plus innings this year, I could see him easily crack in the top 50. Um, he had as in relief 20% K rates, 205 ERA, uh, a 0.98 whip. The guy has a 95 mile per hour fastball, he can push it on the left side, he can push it a little bit as well. A slider that has an over 20% swing strike rate, a curveball that he trusts for strikes. He's also, with that fastball, trusting it up in the zone and getting swing strikes at over a 12% mark. And he has a changeup that he'd also trust inside the zone. He has it. He has the repertoire that he needs. And I don't see why he can't capitalize inside San Diego where they would be giving him the leash. He's 27 years old now. Uh, If he's going to camp as a starter, he doesn't need to get stretched out during the year. He's just going to be ready to go. So I, I see yeah, at, he was I see at sixty seven just all right, that's an upside play I want to take. And at this point, you're just trying to find guys that can make an impact right away. And theoretically he could be doing that from from the first day. So I, I like Matt Strom. I mean it's at sixty seven. Yeah, though, he was so. uh this is back in seventeen when the Royals were kind of like still going oh, for it a bit and they got Cahill, uh Ryan Buckner and Brandon Maurer uh for Estuary Ruiz. Strom and Travis Wood. Travis Wood was kind of a throw in estuary Ruiz. Estuary? I think I'm saying that oh, right. You, Ruiz. Ruiz. I know. Ruiz and Strom were kind of the main cogs there. And so, you know, they, they traded for him with some purpose. What I also kind of like about this one with, with Strom is one of the backups. Uh, one of the backup ideas is that maybe even if he doesn't start, he can be a high inning reliever, meaning push, say, 90 innings because maybe he gets seven to eight starts while also relieving multi-innings, and then all of a sudden you're piling up the innings. So you might not get uh, the the 150 plus as a starter, but hopefully you don't get another 60 the way we got last year. I really think that if they're not going to use him as a starter, they need to get more than just 60 innings because you're wasting Matt Strom if you're only using him for 60 oh, yeah, innings. I agree you with mentioned that, his, yes. You mentioned his repertoire. All three of those secondaries has had a positive pitch value. Now, it wasn't gaudy on the on the breaking balls. It was 0.9 on the slider, 0.7 on the curve, but it was 5.7 on the changeup, and his fastball had positive. So he had four positive P-Val pitches in those 61 innings. Matt Strom is a great call here. I am definitely moving him up. You have 100% sold me. I can't get him to 67. I understand. I have some That's other, okay. <laughs> some other gambles I like, but I'm moving him up. Uh, 
I think into my top 100 like that. That's how much you, you've definitely – I didn't give him enough of a look. This was just one of those that gets slotted in where I'm aware that you know he was a quality repertoire lefty but did not realize that it was this strong. And, of course, I totally agree that uh, Eric Lauer, Brian, Brian Mitchell – I like Perdomo a, little, a smidge. Yeah, right. <laughs> the, Mitchell and Lauer should not be blocking him off. Right. Uh, so there should be at least be two spots that he can push in there for. So, yeah, Matt Strom, I'm bumping him up. I like it. Nice. Uh, it really, I, I really have to hamper in that if he does not start the year in the rotation, I'm just going to the waiver wire for someone else. It's that. That's literally yeah, what I'm thinking good. here. I'm not saying like this is it locked for the entirety of the 2018 season, 19 season, and just that's it. We're done. This isn't a best ball ranking. This is me understanding the case of being in a 12 team league and who I'm drafting. And at that point, I'm going for Strom. So right off the top, without doing any further investigation, I just push, pushed him up to 108. We'll see if I can get into the top 100, but 108 now for Strom. Just, Boom, 41, 41 spots right off the top I'll there. just keep texting you. It's okay. Yeah, exactly. You just keep texting <laughs> me all these like sick pitches that he had and whatnot. Like, did you see this curveball from him, though? Oh, dang, four more points. Look at this fastball on this 3-2 uh, pitch just... on the corner. Six more ranks. Oh, sorry, curse word. Get that one out. I'll get it out. All right. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Nick. Alex Fast and I need to do a pod together where he and I just curse up the a storm. The thing of it is, on <laughs> Sleeper on the Bus, we don't we don't freely curse. Like it, we slip in one every once in a while, but it's not like a free for all. But I do try to be mindful of it for you, and I apologize. No, on that. it's okay. It'll be a fun edit. I'll enjoy it. Let's move to Jared Eikhoff. Yes, this is definitely one where um, I don't disagree with some hype for him, and I was fully aware. But I just took the more conservative route. I put him 120. You got him 66, so you're already full bore. I guess one of my main questions would be: Is he going to even get the rotation spot? Because I was thinking that the five that they have right now would already block him off. Let alone if they brought in yet another guy. They got Nola, Arietta, Pavetta. Velasquez, Eflin, yep. where does Eikhoff fit in? Right. So, I mean, going right with Strom, I don't even know if Strom has a rotation spot. So if Eikhoff doesn't have it, I'm out. But I do feel that if Eikhoff gets one, and look, Eflin slowed down a ton at the end of the year. Velasquez yes. still struggles so much with the secondary pitches. I still believe... He should be... I believe that Velasquez should you be a reliever. Velasquez should be a multi-inning right. reliever. He is a perfect two to four inning guy, and I've been harping this... For a while now, and Doug Thorburn was the one who put me on it. We have a one-inning role and a six-inning role and nothing in between. We're we're inching to some of these relievers being one-plus innings. We need a two-to-four-inning role. The opener could facilitate that. We saw a little bit of that. Velasquez is a two-to-four-inning guy. Totally agree with you. So you're right. They have a little bit more fluidity. But I'm still I'm still not sure he's going to start with the start the season with it. So I don't know if you have to draft Eikhoff because – I think you are kind of wasting if, – if you're just going to cut him this, as soon as he doesn't have the spot, I think you might be wasting that spot because I just don't think he's going to have it to start the season I, I, at all. I mean at pick 66, that's essentially your 22nd or 23rd round pick, and you probably are going to be dropping a lot of those last five round picks anyway through the year. Okay, and um, you were talking 12-team with, right. with that. So that's like okay. a 230th overall or something. Um, so with Jared Eikhoff, I think a lot of people are forgetting that he did start last year. He came back, he was hurt for a while, came back, and he actually pitched while hurt still last year. And even while hurt, he had eight strikeouts and 3.1 innings pitch with the most successful curveball he's ever had. It was unbelievable how good this curveball is, one of the best spin rates that uh, of 
any curveballs was Jared Eikhoff's in this game with still surgery that he had to get. I believe it was surgery. It was, I believe it was with yeah. his thumb after the, after the year. So he had a 58% CSW. That's nine whiffs and six called strikes on 26 curveballs thrown in that game. Eight Ks and 3.1 innings, zero walks. The guy dominated. It's against the Braves. Good lineup, too. I, I, I just get this feeling. I see this. And I think that Ikov is going to kill it in spring training and earn a rotation spot and just be that f- number five on your team, number six through your, uh, through the year. I just, I just can feel that uh, from Ikov. He, he's had all this time to, to fix it, and he comes out guns a-blazing, and now is even healthier than that. It just seems like the path for him to be a really sneaky, fun pick to make. And at 66, I didn't feel that I'm really passing on so many other things. Um, and I'd like to take that chance there. 17 was nerve irritation in the hand last year was a lat muscle, just to clarify that. Now, this is where our one of our bigger discrepancies comes up in terms of um, draft styles that we like because you're more 12 team, I'm more 15 yeah. team. And so the 66 pitch, pitcher in a 15 teamer, 66 starter, it's probably, I don't know, uh, let me see what that would be, more of like a 15th rounder. And so it's a little bit more impactful there. And I guess that that's, that's just a discrepancy that we have to understand. If you're looking at 12-team versus 15-team, that's going to be a, a pretty big difference. Now, it's it's hard to – I'm eyeballing it because uh, NFBC lists starters and relievers together. So the ADP is not perfect. So I kind of just – threw in uh i did you know 66 plus 25 just thinking that there's about 25 relievers there so i'm around pitcher 91 and that is the start best starter around there or the closest starter to 91 uh is jesus lazardo who's going pick 245 which is the 17th round so you know it's not an early pick but i think in your teens rounds you still want a little bit more stability so that's where our disagreement is there but that is covered by saying 12 team right no i do agree team. that that's not the kind of play i would make also 15 teamer you can't you do need to get a little bit more of your what i call toby's just to be safe because the waiver wire is there and it's yes. just how it works but in but in 12 teamers this is where i'm just going after it why not three fewer teams gonna have a more robust uh waiver wire oh, for yeah. sure so i understand that um and so that can explain some of the our discrepancy here but even with that there would still be a discrepancy. That's why we're still yep. talking about these guys. Uh, the last one that we have here, and I kind of thought I was, you know, giving him a fair ranking. Derek <laughs> Holland, I had him 99. You say 57. He had that nice, uh, that rebirth season last year. Really kind of came out of nowhere because he had kind of really fallen into a fifth starter mold at this point. In fact, his 2017 with Chicago uh, with the White Sox was brutal. 620, right. 170 ERA whip combo. He allowed a billion hits. 2.1 homers, strikeouts were crummy at 17%, walks were brutal at a career-worst 12%. You know, he only pitched 135 innings. You could say it was a career-worst, it was a throwaway, but even the seasons before that weren't that good. Boom, bounces back with, with San Francisco. Of course, great park helps, but this was skills-fueled as well. 23% strikeout rate, 9% walk, a four-year high on the swinging strike rate up at 10% after kind of living at a 7% mark, and it yielded a 357-129 ERA whip combo. Derek Holland re-signs with San Francisco. You still like him up at 57, 
do do talk to us about Derek Hahn. Now, he has a rotation spot. I feel like oh, he's yes. going to come in he with, does. with that locked um, spot. And there's something to be mentioned uh, that I, I'm like, I was super tempted to put Drew Pomerantz, by the way, in the top 80, speaking of rotation spots in San Francisco. But uh, Derek Holland, in his last 19 starts, shifted on the rubber to the first base side. And all of a sudden, in those last 19 starts, there's a 294 ERA with a 25.5% strikeout rate, fueled by 11.5% swing strike rate and a 127 whip. Now, I'm not saying that he'll have a sub-3 ERA again, but I do think that he can go 350 ERA or so with like a 23-24% strikeout rate, 120 whip. I can see as possible with him. Not to mention that he has two pitches with a swing strike rate of 17%, and that's across the entire year, not even in that great stretch when he shifted his location on the rubber. That's a slider and his curveball, and his curveball was indeed a money pitch. That is with the zone and O swing as well. Uh, actually, they're both You need about... to get a sound effect for me. I actually like it. <laughs> uh, I, it's, it's, it triggers it's different Alex. because I can't play it with my speakers because I'm not recording Would that. You, you can just put your phone up to the mic. I, It'll come across. I, I, can, I can do something. I'll figure it out. Yeah, uh, I love it. So <laughs> good. I don't even know why he doesn't like it. I don't either. I think it's more of a shtick at this point. But uh, it's a 90% combined zone in O-Swing. So it's 45% each, which is even better than the 80% threshold generally. And uh, it's I really feel that he has a, two pitches to go for for strikeouts, and that's not going to go away. Uh, the ERA should be solid. And the whip, I think, can move up from that 127 for a full year of this. So... Uh, I like that he's in AT&T Park, has that rotation spot. He's They're just going to let him go. And the more I thought about it, I liked him more than the other really boring uh, Toby types like Dallas Keuchel that I don't trust at all, uh, or <laughs> Jake Arrieta, or Kevin Gaussman, or Jose Quintana, or Rick Porcello. All those guys that a lot of people I think would group with Holland, I think Holland has wow. separated himself from. That is definitely interesting because those are some names, like you said, that you mentioned that are kind of established guys that folks uh, definitely have some like for. Maybe not maybe not love because some of them are coming off of down seasons, but the Keuchel and the Quintana, you know, grouping lefties together, that that definitely kind of surprises me that you have them nearly uh, like 15, 20 spots apart there. And I'm not sure I, I agree. Well, actually, I'm certain I don't agree <laughs> with it because I don't have it ranked similarly, but um I, I'm at least intrigued by him. Like I said, I put Derek Hall in 99th and felt like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm acknowledging that he was good last year. I think we can get a low fours ERA, hopefully sub four, but I'll take low fours with a decent whip and some strikeouts. What I really like, and you mentioned it with the money pitches, 10% swing strike rate, 23% strikeout rate. So he could even push that a little bit higher. You talk about the shorthand. 2 to 2.5x the swinging strike rate is a good uh, you know, guesstimation estimator for strikeout rate. So he could maybe even push it up to 25% for Derek Holland. So there's some intrigue there. Just don't quite have him uh, as high as you do, but I, I don't dislike Derek Holland. All right, so that's the uh, the big discrepancies of guys. I didn't have my top 80 that you did. You definitely sold me on Strom. Um, I don't dislike Eikhoff, but I can't quite move him up there until I see some clarity in spring. And then Holland. Uh, Holland's probably closer to that 15-12 uh, team disagreement there mm-hmm. where it, 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 I, I probably have him in a similar range for 15 team that you do for 12 teams. So we're probably not too far off philosophically right. with Derek Holland, uh, just more of what we cater to. So let's move into my top 80. And talk about some guys that you didn't rank that I know you have ranked outside the top 80. 
I just don't know where they're at yet because I, I we don't have the full list. Yep. So again, I'm going to read the names and where I have them ranked, and then um, and then we're just going to highlight three of them. So, Anibal Sanchez at 54, Kyle Gibson at 70, Derek Rodriguez at 73, CC Sabathia at 74, Brandon Woodruff at 75, Sonny Gray 76, Luke Weaver 77. Anthony Descofani, 80. As you can tell, the bulk of those were in my bottom 10. And I think the first thing you told me was that they're all pretty close. Yeah, they're all the, going to be H1 in the next one. 100 range, right? Yeah, yeah I, think, okay. I think everyone, maybe not Sabathia, but I might, I honestly, that might happen still. Uh, so, yeah, so I, I can't, I, I know that I'm not going to have any major disagreements with any of these. I have something, obviously, to, to talk about with all of them, but so I the have biggest no qualms one, here, really. Uh, the biggest one that we'd probably still want to discuss, even if you did have your full 100 out, would be Anibal Sanchez, mm-hmm. because I do have him all the way up at 54. And make no mistake, I'm not suggesting 283-108 is coming back again, because um, I'm not a crazy person. But I <laughs> do like what, what Sanchez was able to do last year in his 137 innings. That cutter, we all know what what drove it. The, the cutter that he ended up using 23% of the time was a, a career saver, really, because it helped him get further away from his four-seamer, which is not very good. And he really dove headfirst into that cutter, and it also helped – uh, uh, highlight his secondary stuff again, which is changeup was always a a a big. I don't know if it was always a money pitch, but it was always a strong pitch and probably ranged into money territory yes. regularly when he was good with the Marlins and Tigers. And it was money again last year, or dang, dang close to at fourteen point eight pitch value. So that cutter changeup combo was fantastic. He's going to stay on a good team with the Nats, and so I just I like him. If you're asking for a projection, I'm going to say three seventy. 118 with a good strikeout rate. Okay. And and I think we could pile up some dubs because that's going to be a good team. Now we'll see if he can change the volume a bit on the innings, right? Because he still only threw 137. We've certainly had injury issues throughout Anibal Sanchez's career, to be quite honest. So it's not anything new. And at age 35, I wouldn't be tabbing him for a full season. But let's say if we can bump that up to 160, get those extra 25 or so innings, that's going to help things as well. So I just I think he's a real solid kind of mid rotation guy. I think he's not going to get as much love. You're going to be able to get him cheaper, probably even than the 54 rank that I have, Anibal Sanchez, because of the old fantasy ageism and what whatnot. He ranks 110 among all pitchers on NFBC right now, pick 281. So you don't have to pay where I have him ranked. I just really like Anibal Sanchez, and I think that that cutter uh, helped him cut his home runs, no pun intended there, and and really gave him a second wind here. Sure, I. I guess I project him a little differently um, because I, I think this was a career year and I think that a lot of things went his way. And because these specific things went his way, it made everything else get amplified with it. Mm-hmm. And it, I think it's a little more fragile um, than it would appear. I mean, just looking at his cutter, this this really is the saving pitch, as you've mentioned. Um, it allowed him so that the, the, the changeup did not have to get thrown in the zone. That was not close to money pitch because it was around a 30% zone rate. But that's great. Oh, okay. Because that's all he had to do. He didn't have to yeah. throw it for strikes anymore because he had this cutter that he trusted. Um, and it was phenomenal. I mean, we're talking like a 20% swing strike rate on it, like a near almost 50% O swing on that split changeup. And that cutter, well, that was about a 50% zone rate. And that's great, especially when it had a 197 batting average allowed. I don't know if I'm going to buy that again. I mean, essentially, if if Sanchez has just a normal cutter, if that turns into like a 260 average or so, 
this is going to go south quickly. I think it's very fragile because that's a bad fastball. And he really needs this cutter to excel in order to amplify that, that split changeup. If that split changeup doesn't have something like this, it's it can't. It just doesn't stick together. Either he's going to be really good like it was last year or it's just going to be south again. I don't really see that middle ground for Sanchez personally. Uh, and about that cutter, it reminds me of Colin McHugh's out, uh, I was going to say outbreak, breakout from 2014. Uh, where he was really good at with his slider cutter, whatever you want to call it, nipping the top of the zone. It would start up and then come back down. Yep. And that's what Sanchez did last year a lot. McHugh had to go away from it because it was really hard to replicate. And he doesn't do that anymore. He actually has Brad Peacock's slider now. I'm worried that Sanchez won't be able to get the same same exact locations with the same approach with that with that cutter again. That means all of a sudden the average jumps back up to 260 or so as opposed to 197. The Babbitt bond, it was 240. Maybe that goes back up to 300 or something, and then it just all quickly crumbles. So that's my worry about Sanchez. I'm still going to have him in the 80s, without question. Okay. I actually debated putting him um, right around where John Gray for me was, who we'll talk about in a moment. I will. And, uh, and, and Zach Godley. I even considered putting him in like the Gaussman and uh, Keichel and all those guys as well. So I, I'm not f- totally against this. I can just see how it can go badly quickly. I understand and the I don't fragility it, piece, so. uh, particularly with his health, and that can, you know, if he's not injured to the point of of being on the injured list for Anibal Sanchez, but but ailing and still pitching, mm-hmm. that can also cut into things too. Like yeah, a lot a of times, point. guys are pitching and they're not a hundred percent, but too often, I think a lot of us, just as baseball fans, analysts, whatever, we assume if a guy's out there, he's a hundred percent. And they right, might be grinding right. it out at uh, – I like that mug, by the way, Cup of Schmo. Uh, they might be grinding it out <laughs> at, at 80% health. So I do understand that uh, that concern with Sanchez. And like I said, this is one of those where the rank just highlights how much I like him, but you don't have to pay that. Don't Right. When, when pitcher 53 goes off the board, you don't have to take Anibal Sanchez yet. That's not undercutting how much I like him. That's just saying where I'm at. Yeah, that's uh, I would I would make that case for Straumikov Holland as well. You can correct wait a long time for them. correct. You're not you're not taking them uh, just because you have Ikoff at at 66. Pitcher 65 goes off. You don't say red alert. Got to take Ikoff now. You can take him at pitcher 80, even if he's going regularly at pitcher 100 to jump and make sure you get him because in a draft it only takes one other person. And if you know somebody else has read your stuff and and been swayed by it, you don't want to get punked. But um, yeah, I totally agree with that, and be mindful of that. That this isn't necessarily a draft list; it's how we like the players. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, next up is Sonny Gray, and obviously he moved up my rankings once he was traded. And I understand that Cincinnati is still a difficult park, but I. Still don't think that it, uh, it I think it pales in comparison to pitching in New York. And I definitely think there was something to the notion. And I don't I don't tab this on everybody who fails in New York that they're like mentally weak. And I don't even think that he was that Sonny Gray is necessarily mentally weak or anything like that. But I do think that there was, uh, you know, the extra pressure of trying to make everything good in one outing with with the Yankees like uh, uh, this is the outing where I turn everything around it's like well you're not going to do that you're going to have to chisel away because your numbers are already pretty bad you're not going to turn your 7 ERA around in in 7 good innings so right, yeah. uh, but it did seem like just rewatching some of those starts there and this is this is almost a think fast type of deal uh where I'm projecting a bit um onto the psychology of it cuz I don't know and mm-hmm. so um I, I want to be clear on that 
but it did seem like he was really trying to uh, be so perfect and so fine that he was aiming. You know, instead of pitching, he's out there just trying to put it exactly where he needs it. And we hear time and time again how that can cause issues for guys. And you look at his road numbers, and he was fantastic. And the skills were there to match. 317 ERA, 116 whip for Sonny Gray in 71 innings. But he also had 78 strikeouts in just 22 walks. He had 45 strikeouts and 35 walks at home in 59 innings. So, again, I understand that it's a difficult park still in Cincinnati. Make no mistake about that. Uh, but he does have a ground ball lean, which will hopefully help him curb some of the home runs. Uh, I know you don't love curb, uh, ground ball guys, and I agree that it's not an end-all, be-all skill that now you're impenetrable because you're a ground ball guy. But hopefully he can keep the ball down a bit, cut into the home run rate. His home run rate wasn't even that bad last year. That wasn't the biggest issue with Sonny right. Gray. Mm-hmm. It was really just allowing billions of hits and then walking guys on top of it. Um but yeah, I just think getting out of there, I also put in a little bit of more think fast factor. And for those who don't know what that is, that's something from yours and Alex Fast show uh, where he kind of talks about psychological, sometimes narrative driven things that are a little bit outside the numbers that we often zero in on. And I do think the Derek Johnson connection, getting back with his yeah, coach definitely. from Vanderbilt, I put stock in things like that. Comfort. And, you know, if you're saying he's uncomfortable in, in New York, this is the complete opposite of that. You're going to a place where you're going to be much more comfortable because of your pitching coach being your college manager. And so I like Sonny Gray here, and that's why I have him up at 76. How close is he to your top 80? Because we might oh, not even have is, that big a discrepancy. 100% in the top five. Like, he's it, top 85. Okay, I don't know exactly so, which one yet. I'm pretty sure. I think I have him at 84. Okay, so um, we don't have a but, stark Right. I mean, I mean, it's funny. This is really entertaining to me. There's, this is two pitchers going to like one of the worst home ballparks that we're more excited about now. I know, right? <laughs> That's Alex Wood, of course, with, with Sonny yes. Gray. But it's just about opportunity, and it's just a different thing for them that they both needed. Uh, so, I, again, everything you said, I, I like. I, I, I think a lot of us are forgetting what kind of stuff that Sonny brings to the table. It's an amazing slider that misses a ton of bats. Curveball has been effective as well, and he still throws like low to mid-90s. Uh, he can push it at times as well. Uh, there's still a lot of upside there. Obviously, you know me. I don't know if I want him to be a massive sinker guy. I mean, Alex yeah. Chamberlain and I love this. He actually had a really interesting article about Chris Archer, maybe going back to a sinker. But that's another story, uh, which was really weird to read from Alex and even acknowledge that. Uh, but, I mean, even if it throws a sinker, as you're saying, that might limit some of the, the fly balls and the and the home runs then uh, inside of uh, Great American Ballpark. But yeah, I, I I like Sonny Gray. I think he's a good dart to throw. I mean, that's that's yep. the thing. There's so many of these. You take Steven Matz in his final eight starts of the year that returned a near 30% strikeout rate. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe you buy into Zach Godley and his incredible curveball, and then hopefully he can induce the same contact that he did in 2017. Do you go over King, Nick Kingham getting a rotation spot on the Pirates and maybe uh, fine-tuning the fastball? There's so many different darts to throw, and well, it just gets so tough. One. Yeah, what this we got? next one, Luke Weaver, right? Yeah, <laughs> who uh, gets traded. You know, I thought he was overhyped last year, but didn't think he was going to completely fall on his face like this. He ends up totally flopping. We've gone the other way now on disliking him as as a fantasy market. He's he's basically an afterthought in Arizona. Well, don't forget they have the uh, the humidor, so it's not going to be some you know awful place for him to pitch. You could almost make a case that outside of Coors, of course, is the wild card. But outside of that, you could make a case that maybe pitching in the West is better than the Central because the Central, every team in the Central is competitive. Yeah. And so, you know, even going to PNC, 
they're not they're not a t- total walkover because they have a pretty decent offense. So even though the park's nice, like yeah, maybe getting out of the central is is just what you need. Uh, and so Luke Weaver's going to go to Arizona. He certainly still has some things to work on, right? He needs a he needs a more reliable third pitch. I completely uh, believe that, and I never believe that the. 28% strikeout rate that we saw in his first 96 innings with only a 10% swinging strike rate. And that was rounded. He's actually 9.7 uh, those two seasons combined. I never thought that that was a sustainable match there, but I still believe that he can kind of be more of the the mid-20s, like say 22 to 25 uh, for, for Luke Weaver, pending that third pitch. But there's still good stuff here. Um I don't want to completely quit him, and I think the price is, is such that buying Luke Weaver makes sense at this point as almost a last year's bum type of guy. How do you feel about Luke Weaver in Arizona? Well, I love the fact that he has his leash. You know, they're just yeah. going to let him go, and that's Wide something open. to be said. Uh, I, I, I put a lot of value on guys getting the opportunity through the year. That's why I'm a little bit high on Reynaldo Lopez in Chicago. Yes. Why I kind of consider throwing Justice Sheffield in here. Uh, because I think that once he does start for Seattle, they're just going to let him go. Why would they stop? As him? they should, right? Yeah, exactly. Unless right. he's just, you know, getting obliterated. And we're talking like some nine ERA or something every time out. Right. They're just going to let him. You go. let him go. So same thing with Luke Weaver in Arizona, when that's not going to be a very competitive team. We don't think of offensively. So they're just going to let Luke Weaver, the number four starter right now, Mary Mallor Carley being the fifth. Maybe he can go even like 200 innings. I mean, that's the thing is that we see so few guys actually push 180 plus now. I put a little bit more weight into the possibility of not only a guy having that, Volume. as you suggested, yeah. 22 to 25% K rate and all the ERA and ratio stuff, but they get that little extra check mark because, oh, yeah, this could go 180s innings plus or more. Now, that's not the first thing I look at. It's like, oh, I'll go for the volume even if it's a bad ERA or, or whip. That's not worth it. Those are bad innings. I don't want that. Starts with the ratio in numbers, but then if they have that volume and we, Luke Weaver could have it, then I give a little extra bonus to him. So, yeah, I actually have Weaver and Gray back-to-back. I think you did, okay. too. Yeah. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. Yep. I feel like they're the same pitcher almost. 76, 77. Right? It's kind of wild. Totally agree. I might have them flipped, but yeah. Weaver, uh, like a kind of a younger iteration. Yeah, it's it's weird. He doesn't have the breaking ball though. That's the thing. No, and I wish he did because that would that would really set him off if he had that third pitch. But and who knows? He's still young, and maybe he can develop that the curveball into it. We thought it might be as a as a strike getter to help out with that change up before. Maybe he can learn from Godly. I know, right? That knuckle, yeah. Do a knuckle curve now. Maybe that'll work. We'll you know, so, something like something like that. Yeah, uh, would be interesting. You never know what guys are going to pick up from other folks in terms of uh, you know getting around a new team and, and not even necessarily the coaches, but one of the, one of the teammates says, Hey, you know, you could throw this and this is how I throw it. And it clicks. And then all of a sudden they're saying, yeah, I was working in the pen with, uh, with Merrill Kelly who just came over and he taught me this grip and bada bing, bada boom. I mean, they have some guys with great, you know, this is actually a really good transition because one of the guys I want to talk about next actually did just that. Well, let's let's jump into that. So now this next group is the guys that you're higher on. So I'm actually just going to read the names and how many spots higher you are than mm-hmm. than me. Luis Castillo, ten. 
uh, Robbie Ray, 13. Joey Lucchesi, 13 spots. Tyler Skaggs, 15 spots. Same with Colin McHugh at 15 spots. Yusei Kikuchi, 16 spots. Joshua James, 16 spots. Tyler Glass now, 18. Alex Reyes, 22. And Mike Soroka, 24. Again, we're going to highlight three names here. Um, you know, our 10 spot difference in Luis Castillo is interesting because we both still love it. But uh, <laughs> I think I was really just trying to cold water myself. And right. So I, I, I did initially, you know. And then uh, yeah. eventually I was like, man, it's funny that I'm higher on Ray than I'm going to talk about him. But I even was like, well, I don't like Ray, so let's push up Castillo. I don't like Fulty. I don't like Barrios. Okay, I guess I'm just going to push up Castillo then. Who did you want to start here with with the transition? Um, the well, the transition is Colin McHugh yeah. uh, yeah. learning that slider from Brad Peacock. Exactly. This is a completely different pitch than it used to be. I uh, And I I really do feel that he has everything to be a starter. He's going to be in the rotation for the Astros. He's the number four. He's going to be returning back into it. Uh, That slider with a 14% swing strike rate and 42% zone rate last year with a 9.8 P-Val is phenomenal. He threw about 300 of them with zero extra base hits, uh, which is very impressive. That means he's just commanding it well and guys are not getting good swings at it. Uh, And obviously, of course, he's not going to keep the same boost in velocity from last year. He was a reliever as opposed well, to being a starter. It's you don't maybe see sometimes that. you can hang on to it, but you're right. Sure. I mean, you, you should bet on it. I'm not expecting it giving back, but he could keep some right. of the gains there, and maybe he sits more 91 than 90. So it would still be a tick upward. But he was at yeah. 92, 93 last year out of the bullpen. Colin McHugh was yes, and uh, McHugh also has this really good curveball that we've been talking about for ages. But it wasn't really until last year that I think he perfected it. Uh, I looked at it a bit. I was, was curious to see how it went from a 23%. Sorry, it went from about like a 12% or 16% career swing strike rate to 23% last year. And he was he just got really good at putting it right at the bottom of the zone, um, either like right on it or just below it. And I'm not talking about in the dirt. You don't want it necessarily in the dirt. You want it, the glove to catch it right before it goes in the dirt. That's that was Godley's problem last year. He was spiking oh. way too many, and it was easy to spit on. And then all of a sudden he had to throw cutters, and those yep. cutters were bad. And oh, no, you're you're ugh. right. You want to make it competitive so that they're swinging over the top of it and and missing. You spike one every once in a while, but if you're only spiking them, then the second that they see that little hump, they're right. just laying off because they know it's not going to be anywhere near a competitive pitch. McHugh had a brilliant season out of the bullpen. We know that one ninety nine point ninety one ERA WHIP combo. We know that that's not going to hold as a starter. No one would suggest otherwise. It wouldn't hold as a reliever, I don't believe, if he relieved again this year. But the, the 33% strikeout rate, he's just continued. I feel like his strikeout rate's always been a little bit lower than um, than what it should be with the swing and miss that he has. So last mm-hmm. year, he finally fully cashed in and dropped a 33% mark with his 13% swinging strike rate. So McHugh has a lot to like. Like you said, he should have a role. And uh, I'm I'm pretty intrigued by him, to be honest. And uh, you are higher, but that's not for any dislike that I have here. So, right. you know, we don't have a lot of uh, – I, I can't foster fake disagreement here because I don't dislike him. I just kind of had him, uh, you know, 15 so spots guys. lower. Yeah, and it was just <laughs> something where he – that's just kind of where he so, wound up, but not because I, I hate Colin McHugh. The, the reason that I think I had Colin McHugh this high is because I think his floor is higher than the other options. Um, okay, so look at, at you going for some floor. Well, no, I, I talk about floor a lot. Wearing off on I you do. a little bit. Generally, at this point, uh, I feel like, no, no, I feel like it's a similar upside, but his floor is higher. I look yeah. at both sides of the spectrum. I don't just look at one. <laughs> no, no. Uh, but it's also the fact that his fastball, four-seamer, 
past two years have been about 11% swing strike rate, which is great. I, I, anytime I see tosser type. Right. But even at 90 miles per hour in 2017, in that limited sample, about 500 pitches, that was a 12% swing strike rate for his four seamer. I wonder I like if, that. He's, if he's garnering some effective velocity there for McHugh to really make it play up a bit too, because he certainly looks more dominant when you watch him, even with, with, with his fastballs. We know the secondary stuff, but I, I don't know. I haven't really studied his mechanics or, or checked on his extension or anything, but I wonder if, if his 90 to 92 plays up a bit uh, for, for Colin McHugh. So maybe I'll do a little. It's funny that you say plays up because he's going, guess what, up in the zone with a four-seamer. And well, I that absolutely is, that love would that. Play up then because that's where effective velocity absolutely Right, well, exactly. And, and when he has this amazing curveball going right at the bottom of the zone, that's fantastic. Plus, you have the slider that you can throw for strikes in between. I, I really do think that you're going to draft Colin McHugh, and he's just never going to leave your team. He's just always going to be there. He's, he's not starting. I think you want him as a as a multi inning reliever. I don't see why he won't start the entire I know, year. I agree, but I'm just saying, like, if sure. for some reason he didn't, and it was if he wasn't put into the bullpen because of failure as a starter, if just Whatever I don't know. Josh James takes off, and then they bring up Forrest Whitley because he's been so amazing, and they just don't have a spot for McHugh for some reason. But they but they still liked him enough. He held his own, and they put him back in the bullpen. I think you would still have a case to just mm-hmm. keep him on your club because of the strikeouts and the multi innings. So McHugh strong. Um, agree with hype on him. I'm just a little bit lower. A few other guys I'm taking ahead of him, but I'm not averse to going out and rostering McHugh. This next guy though. I don't really like. So we do have some disagreement here on Robbie Ray where you have him at sure, 30 I totally and I have get him at this. 43. And it, it does start to get a little bit more disparity here. So even though it's it's fewer spots difference than the McHugh, McHugh is more in a glob, whereas Ray is at that cutoff of you've got him 30 where you're kind of taking him as an SP2, um, SP3 in an ideal situation, but probably SP2 for you because you're not really in on the top, top guys. Well, I, I, if I were ever drafting him, it would probably be as an SP3. Fair enough then. Um, But I just 2017 was the clear outlier and and he was so lucky to get that because the 289 115 doesn't marry. The whip was was higher. So that ERA there, there was some good fortune there. Like everything clicked to get him to 289 ERA. That's never happening again for Robbie Ray. And he continues to walk guys, continues to have home run issue. I'm just not really seeing it outside of the strikeouts. And you talk about volume. He doesn't do that either. 174 was his career high in 2016. He's 162, 124 the last two years. For me with Robbie Ray, it's just a headache I'm not interested in. Do do talk to me, though. I understand. Um, if you want to talk about volume, I have to at the very least mention that even though it is underneath 175 innings ever, he had 218 strikeouts in 2016 and 2017 exactly. So you're still Imagine. getting production even if it's True. not as much volume. Imagine but, if he did cop 180, what yeah, kind of right? total he might right. have. Uh, the thing that uh, I like to talk about with Ray, uh, I, I often like to talk about a story, right? I, these guys, there's a whole tale about them that you can read a book Spin and understand. Yarn, them, Uncle you know? <laughs> uh, well, Robbie Ray, I think his season didn't really start until he came back from the DL. Okay. Um, he got he got hurt. He was out for a good amount of time. And then as he came back, he couldn't find his curveball for a bit. He was really struggling with that, and he actually didn't even use it until until really August 5th. I have a theory, by the way, on the curveball. Yeah, by all means. It's the same uh, thing happened with Godley, that the humidor actually hurt them. Talk about the humidor giving you more grip, allowing you to 
get your pitches to get more break. I think it gave them almost too much break on their curves. I was talking about how he was spiking it so often for Godley that they weren't able to be competitive with their with their curveballs. They had to adjust to kind of the extra break that you would think would help them, but it actually hurt Ray and, and Godley throughout parts of the season. That's that's my theory. Sure. And I, again, the numbers I'm about to say are there are bad numbers as well. So this isn't a full sell. But I will okay. say that it was in those last 11 starts, he had a 265 ERA with a 32.5% K rate once he found his curveball. Mm-hmm. His, uh, his plate discipline has 13% swing strike rate as well with that. I I mean, it does come with a uh, 384 FIP. A, uh, that's a 408 Sierra as well. The whip was 130. This is kind of typical from Ray in many fashions. But yes. I, I, I do feel that give me a full season with Ray and his slider and his curveball from the get-go again. I'm looking at the other ones that are past him. Fulty Navich that I'm so worried about. Uh, Mass and Bumgarner that we will talk about in a moment. I have some concerns about what he actually will give you. Sure. Um, Nick Pavetta is your volatile guy. Tanaka is your volatile guy. Kyle Freeland is a little more of the sturdy stuff, etc. I felt like with me putting Ray at 30 was like one of the last of the ones that, okay, but this could actually return a, a top 15 starter. And at the very least, he is giving you one of the most elite strikeout productions when he's going to be on the field. Strikeouts are amazing with Ray. I cannot push back on that even 1% because it's it's locked and loaded and it has been now for three straight seasons. But he's so reliant on stranding guys because he allows too many base runners and home runs with it. So it's just so fragile. It just yeah. feels like it can crumble at any moment. And that's that's my main concern with Robbie Ray and why I wouldn't want to take him up there. And, and that's why I have him down at, at, at 43 behind some guys who also have some questions, too. I'm not saying that there's no questions for a Kyle Freeland who's above him and plays in Coors freaking field or uh, Cole Hamels, who's, you know, just flat out old. Uh, Chris Archer, Eduardo Rodriguez can't keep his lower half healthy. You mentioned Nick Pavetta and others. But for me... I look at that 289 ERA and I'm like, you were so lucky to get that. Yeah. It's never happening again. I just can't see a scenario where I could reasonably project it. He would have to get so lucky. So for me, the best I can get Robbie Ray to is like a mid threes. And with a bad whip, you know, because that 115 was his only good whip in in 2017, it's just tough. And another thing that I I do worry about is the infield defense for the – for, for the Diamondbacks because hit suppression was a big key to getting that 115 whip back in 2017 uh, career best 6.4 hits per nine. And I'm not sure I'm that confident in Jake Lamb, Wilmer Flores, Nick Ahmed is good, but then Eduardo Escobar is just kind of meh. So they have one premium infielder with, with Ahmed and then some bad ones and a mediocre one. So I just have major concerns. I got um, if you give me my SP four, you might, you might have a sale for me, but as an SP three can't do it. Yeah, just to comment on the Hipper 9, it was a 6.44 in 2017 and then a 706 last year. Yeah. Like, fine, I'll take a 706 Hipper 9. Uh, I think that works. It's really that 13% walk rate that needs to fall, which I think he can do. I think he can be like a 10% walk rate. But yeah, rate. it's only going to go back to 10%, though. That's okay. Look, I, I guess what I'm getting at is I, I can see myself ex- accepting a 3.6 ERA with a 127 whip and his strikeout rate. That to me is number thirty. Say that again. What were those? Three six, three sixty ERA, one. I don't know, twenty seven WHIP, and uh, and his stud K rate. So let's say thirty two percent. 
Okay. Right. That, I mean, that's why I have him at 30. I understand all the problems that you have and I don't blame you in any way. I actually am kind of like, yeah, maybe I would. I don't know necessarily if I would always take Ray at 30. Uh, but at the end of the day, that's kind of how I felt. That just seemed right to expect that season. And with how much he gives you in the strikeout department, it's kind of hard not to accept that. Okay. I hear it. I mean, I I, yeah, I, I, right. I don't. It's just a guy I'm, I'm not going to be sold on. Um, it's I will continue to make, uh, to keep a close eye on his draft stock, though. I do wonder because I think, I think I'm actually more the outlier. I think a lot of folks are in your camp with Robbie Ray. And it is that enticing strikeout, and I love strikeouts. So it I is almost I weird. Low. I thought I was low. <laughs> you might be. I mean, um, he's for, he's the 41st pitcher off the board. And again, there's relievers. To give you an idea of the relievers just ahead of him, it's Hader and Doolittle and Iglesias. And they're probably what? Yeah, like 12, 12 ish. Yeah. So if you if you shave off 12 there, you're, you're looking top 30 for sure. So you're right. You might actually be on the lower end. So I'm way off on, on Robbie Ray. And that's just where I'm at. Um, I wouldn't say off. You're you're just different. I appreciate that. Uh, let's talk about not another guy here, and this is more of one that. Uh, sorry, if you're, looking, if you're looking for the heat, it's not going to be as as substantial here. This is just one where we are 15 spots apart, but I don't have I don't have like holy smokes. I totally disagree with point 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 right here. But my favorite thing about this, and this was something I was talking about earlier about willing to move on information and adjust as things come in, as opposed to just getting hard lined. You know, if if for example, Robbie Ray came in and he's walking eight percent and he's showing consistency with that and and getting first pitch strikes up or something so something changes i'm gonna move move where i'm at and say you know what he's made a difference i'm not just gonna say oh i didn't like robbie ray at the beginning so forget him you weren't much for tyler skaggs no (laughs) in fact you wrote a piece calling titled the tyler skaggs myth which is a great name but uh you know pretty pretty severe like hey Get out of here with this guy. Y'all need to move on from Tyler Skaggs. And now here you are having him at 40. You've come around and you've talked a little bit about it in previous pods. But do tell what uh, what has spurred your change for Mr. Tyler Skaggs. Here's uh, here's my favorite stat from this. When I wrote that article, he had an 8.6% swing strike rate on his four-seamer. By season's end, that was a 10.7% mark. So Dang. So he brought it up two full takes. Even more. Even during the season. So well, yeah, like, exactly. Okay, so he got the bottom line to 10%. Right. Okay, yeah, exactly. That so even that, 13, 14. 100%. Right. And the fact that everyone is going to look at his 402 ERA, 133 whip, and think, come on, I don't want anything to do with this, completely forgetting that he had a groin injury and then came back and was just as terrible as you'll have ever seen. Tenored run game. It was those two, yeah, those brutal. Tenored run game, got sent to the DL, then came back with a DLH. I guess, actually, by the way, I need to change that. Because it's not disabled oh, yeah. list anymore. ILH. It's injured list. I have. No, 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 I have it. Okay. It's injury list layover. So it's ill. Ill. Oh. That's, <laughs> he's still, that's he's better still than ill. LH. He's still ill. That's so uh, I, this this was a great change. Did you lobby for this change from DL to Yes, I did actually. You know, okay. I've been having this for a year now. Uh, but right. So he came back on August 11th and he was still ill. So seven earned runs and 3.1 innings pitched. And then went back on the DL for another month and then only pitched the uh, eight and two thirds innings after that for seven and runs total. So that completely killed his numbers. Yeah. It was a 262 ERA with a 25.5% K rate and a 7% walk rate with a 1.19 whip beforehand. And this That's is what why he did. I look at game logs and I know some people oh, say it's cherry picking. You can't take those. They, they count. 
I'm not saying they don't count. I play. I understand that CBS doesn't take them out for me for some, you know, say, hey, that, they shouldn't have counted because he was hurt. But it's about painting the right picture, right? If I just tell you it's at a right snap, story. 402, 133, you're going to say, eh, not interested. But if I tell you what he did in the um, in the 22 starts outside of those two mega duds where he gave up 17 earned in six and two-third with uh, 18 – 22 base runners it's going to paint the right picture of tyler skaggs and say okay two mega duds really pushed up his numbers because he didn't even have a full 32 starts so they were a bigger impact than a normal couple of duds in a full season and he really was a real solid pitcher throughout the rest of it he's still only going to be 27 tyler skaggs has seemingly been around forever it's because yeah. of uh, he came up you know prospect status at age 17 and he came up to the majors at age 20 but he's still in the midst of of his pitching prime i am definitely intrigued by him i've actually preached some some interest in the angels at large i think they're a solid team they're they're they do have their star power, but uh, for the most part, they're just solid average at a lot of spots, and that's why I think they can be good. Skaggs is going to be a key part of that because they need their their pitching rotation to be good. And so Skaggs, he need, they really need to stay stable, and then one of Hill or Cahill need, or Harvey or Cahill needs to come through uh, substantially with like 150 strong. Yeah, innings. I made a, I made a garlic bet with uh, the Welsh you did. Uh, Harvey, about right? Matt Harvey. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I haven't raked Harvey or Stroman yet, so whoever has a better season, minimum of 10 starts, That's uh, I, I got Harvey there. I, know, I, I'm crazy. I'm kind of with you. No, I, I mean, I like Stroman the person, like his personality. Oh, yeah, and I, I do root for him, but uh, I hate his situation, which is in Toronto, on the turf, bad infield defense. He's a ground ball guy. We already are a little against sinker ground ball guys you and yep. i and so it's just not a great setup for him um oh, all right but that's tyler skaggs anything else on him because I, I like i said i do like him we just happen to have our rankings a little bit different it's not a uh, dislike thing though no i understood i mean that, that's pretty much it with him i think he can be a, a strong number three even for your team and you can get him as your four or five all right let's talk about some guys where i'm a bit higher on them then and we'll run through the list and then highlight three guys uh john gray 29 spot difference dallas keichel 22 jose quintana 19 zach godley 17 chris archer 16 eduardo rodriguez 15 alex wood and rich hill 14 spots ross stripling 11 spots madison bumgarner and cole hamels 10 spots apiece so it's an interesting group there a lot of veteran types um let's talk about john gray i got him at 49 you got him at 78 Obviously, I understand Coors Field as just a general watch out. Man, I and forgot I had him at 78. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> his season was brutal, right? We came in. We're hyped. The skills uh, looked like they were blossoming a bit. He put up a 367 ERA at the 318 FIP. This is in 2017. The whip was high, but like, you know, if he gets a little bit of extra hit suppression, he, he, Tightens up on the road. That was kind of the big thing was his home work was actually pretty decent for John Gray. So if he tightened up on the road, watch out. We got a breakout coming. And he had such a weird season. His skills were there throughout the first like half, but his his results were putrid. But it was one of those things where if you bet on strikeout and walk and, and FIP and all that secondary stuff, you're like, stick with it, stick with it. There's something here. To the point where they had to send him down. He had a 577 ERA through June. They had to send him out. Um, the strikeouts weren't enough to just get your mind right, right? That was a get your mind right demotion. He comes back up. First seven starts from that, 
259 ERA, but the skills aren't there to match it. No. So it, now we're on the other end where it's like he's pitching well, but it's a decent strikeout, right? It was 43 strikeouts in 49 innings, but uh, it wasn't the same. And then he fell back on hard times, and he finished weak again, and uh, it was a 7-11 ERA in his final seven starts. So just a mess of a season for John Gray. Okay, well then why do you have him 49th, Paul? The main reason I do is because I still believe in those skills. And even though the volatility of Coors hangs overhead, and that's part of the reason I'm a bit down on on Marquez against the market, I, I actually kind of have those two closer together than most people do. A lot of people are high on Marquez, very low on Gray. I kind of bring them to, to, toward the middle there, and I'm, I'm like solid on them. 25% strikeout rate, 7% walk rate. Everything's backed up in the swinging strike rate. Home runs were an issue last year for the first time ever, 18%. Um, homer to fly ball rate was was definitely a factor there. I'm not giving him a pass for the season because there were things that he needs to work on. That it's not it wasn't an injury riddled season that that is worth giving him a pass. But I do believe it's something that that John Gray can rebound from. And again, he struggled more on the road. This wasn't even just something that you blame all on Coors. And so I still think that. Even if he kind of just repeats what he did at Coors, which was not great, 491, 138. If he can get good on the road, he can offset that and still be kind of a 380, 126 bunch of strikeouts guy. So maybe like a cheaper Robbie Ray type. You know, not quite the high strikeout rate, but maybe a little bit better whip and uh, perhaps more wins, which are hard to project, of course, but I do think the Rockies are going to be better than the Diamondbacks. So I still have some love for John Gray, and I think the market's ready to to allow me to get him at a, at a much fairer price because last year he was going through the roof, and I, I didn't want to take him. Right. It's uh, Everything you said is, is correct. You just said, I don't really have any contention. This is the root of why I have John Gray at 78. When Let's say, let's say out of the gate, John Gray does well his first three weeks. Do you believe that he's going to have a successful rest of the year at that point? Do you do you trust him at that point? If I see some improvement on the road, because he's weirdly always struggled on the road. Like That's I can, interesting. T- I can take the home volatility just because if you're investing in a course pitcher and you can't deal with that, again, that goes back to knowing your managing style. Don't take him. Mm-hmm. But he has a 466, 134 on the road, 464, 131 at home. He's basically the same home in a way. A lot of Coors guys are better on the road. If he tightens up on the road, and that's where we're seeing a lot of the success early on, and he's not getting crushed at home, yeah, I would still be confident that, especially if he puts the same skills out that he has the last two years, which is the 25% strikeout rate and 7% walk rate. Okay. So, yeah, um, I would still believe in, in that's that. That's fair. I, I don't think, for me personally, that I, at any point, could really trust in Gray. Okay. I don't think I could get to a point this year of his, of his success, unless he's doing what Marquez did last year. Okay, well, yeah, what, what's, the real, what's the real difference between those two? Well, the fact that I trust Marquez's breaking balls more and his four-seamer isn't, or his fastball isn't as detrimental as Gray's. That I, second part I disagree on. He doesn't have a good four-seamer, Marquez. Oh, no, he doesn't have a good four-seamer. No, 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 but I, Gray has a terrible four-seamer. Well, he certainly did last year. I don't know that the two four-seamers are that far apart. That's what worries me about Marquez, by the way. Well, I mean, I, I'm not a fan of Marquez either. Just want to make sure that's you have clear. You have 28th. I have to. I have, no, you I don't, don't. I know I don't have to, but... I you mean, have him ahead Marquez, of Rios, Robbie Ray. No, 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 no. Okay, okay. Marquez and Gray, though, 
If you okay. want to get into that conversation, I do. I, Marquez, I don't want to yeah, run yeah. from this Marquez at no, twenty eight. No, I am. I am intrigued by. It, but go ahead. Focus I don't have everything two. of Marquez in front of me here. However, I will mention what Marquez did. Deserved it, that run was nothing that we've seen from Gray. Okay, that part's fair. So you can have him higher than Gray, but that already happened. So that's fair. That's and, right. And so, are you going to bet on another otherworldly run? Like he was great. Well, I'm, I'm going to make equally the argument that he is bad for the other half. Sure. But that's also you could make the case that that was in the first half. The guy developed new skills. This is who he is now. You could make that argument. It's a safer okay. argument. Not one that I'm necessarily buying, but that is a lot more convincing to me that the fact that he did it and he did it for a significant amount of time. Now, I don't like the fact that Marquez only had seven core starts exactly. in those in those games. I understand this at the same time. There is a much better chance that that is real than anything I've seen from Gray. Gray's a lot more undulating, a lot more back and forth. Even when he came back and you're saying, hey, the skills didn't represent that ERA, it was a 19% K rate, not even like close with the skills. And that's the last thing we've seen from Gray. Okay. Too. And but I that's, put that's more a little recency well. bias aspect to it. The bottom oh, line sure. is uh, you're looking at a 17% strikeout minus walk rate in 491 innings from Gray and a 17% strikeout minus walk rate in 378 innings from Marquez. Well, no, I would make the case that that's, I mean, there's a lot more weight to what Marquez did. And that's the that's what he only you know, he only changed for recent, that. that uh, well, of course, we have to put more weight on the recency. Bias, though. It's a I mean, how much season. you may want to put is fine. How much you want to put again? I'm not on the Marquez train. Twenty eight uh, tells me you are. I think that's where we just that's that's where I that's why I, I, I'm I figured back I'd be low. That's I think it's more I of an occasion the of market. the thirties. I think you're right. You're right in the market. He's like that twenty four to twenty eight range. I'd be surprised if I had Marquez personally. Okay, I, I, I think it's more of an indication of the guys underneath. Like I think it gets to a point with me for drafts that once it gets up to like 28 or so, I'm just not going to pick any of them. I'm just going to wait until later on. Sure, but you're still responsible for those rankings. That's fine. Just I mean, that's more of an indication that I don't want any of them. Okay, but that's not like I'm so high with them that you don't. You know what I mean? There's a gap yeah. between all of it. Yeah, I mean, I got Marquez 34th. I just couldn't put him in my top 30. Um, I, I love. I love. That's like six spots. Yeah, we're not that far away. But again, there's that gap for me. There's that, that once you get out of the top thirty, I think it, it it's it's a different level. Having him in the top thirty for me is 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 a level of belief I'm not ready to commit to with Herman Marquez. Um, I understand the contentions on on Gray, and um, I'm even open to saying that 49 uh, may be a little bit too high because there are some guys directly behind him that I'm looking at, even when we've already talked about that I might might take ahead. Um, including Anibal Sanchez and some of the lefties here, Wood, Keiko, Quintana, Skaggs. Um, is Kikuchi a lefty? I don't know. Uh, but I might take yes. Josh James, yes, so, who is isn't a lefty. J- Josh James of that group is the only non-lefty. So I- I'm, I'm open to that. But I thought 78, when, yeah, you, had, when you had Marquez at 28, and, and that wasn't the basis of my, uh, you know, uh, I, no, I, 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 I'm just now seeing that you had them 50 spots apart, and I think that they should be closer. I should have Gray further down a little bit. I, I, I would agree with that. I think you should maybe move him up and then Gray down or Marquez down a little. Okay. I'm just a little bit nervous on Marquez because he still has a junk fastball. We don't like junk fastballs, particularly in Coors. You're not going to have a lot of wiggle room. And uh, while I do think his peak, unquestionably, right? I, it's not about thinking. It, it's not an opinion. 
it's unquestionably higher than anything Gray ever did. That second half was brilliant from Marquez, but he still did it with a poor fastball, and that's what has me worried about him. Yeah, no, definitely. Okay. Um, I, I mean, I would probably – I understand why you'd want Gray uh, closer to, to 50 or so. Uh, I, I, just to go back to the, I think the first sentence for me was – I don't know at what point I would trust Gray not to relapse. And sure. for me, drafting guys, I just don't – that's a massive headache. At least with with Hill, I know at the end of the day, okay, fine. Yeah. He's probably going to be w- worth my while. Gray, well, I can't tell you that. Th- I and, think that's my thing with Marquez, though, is, and we're so drunk on that second half that mm-hmm. I can't say that I'm, I'm super confident that he can't – that he won't relapse just because we finally saw that curveball. That was like really the first time we saw – a reliable third pitch from him. Remember, he was a, a, a or the slider, yeah. excuse me, the curveball was there. The slider was was the takeoff pitch. And it was great, but we saw a half of, of a third pitch finally well, blossoming for him, and he still wasn't that good against lefties. Right, sure. I mean, I will say there was a skills improvement mm-hmm. um, with that. I mean, the slider got a lot better. Used it also with two strikes a ton more. That curveball then benefited a lot as well. And that did seem like there was a massive separation in approach and ability in that second half, and it's a very good question. Is that going to be able to be repeated? If it were, then if we believe that, he'd be in our top 15 or so. Correct. That's just how yeah. good he was. Well, and if he wasn't in course field, too, because that – Right, right, sure. You yeah, can pitch as well as you want, there. And, right. and, yeah. and that park will right, smack right. you yeah. in the mouth. So, so right, yeah, cool. I, yeah, I think we're kind of in agreement for the yeah. most part. It's just that I just don't want to – I just don't want to deal with Gray for whatever reason, and I, I understand why you would. So. I'm definitely curious on this one because you convinced me more to get back into my love <laughs> yeah, for this funny. guy. I, I, we had a big debate on him, oh, and I was man. saying, well, you can't stay healthy. I love the skills. And you're like, no, he's good. And I'm like, you know what? Oh. You're right. I like Eduardo Rodriguez. So I go 39, and you go 54. You left me at the train station just chilling here with Eduardo. Well, I, uh, I, even, I, even, I also – I also texted you. I mean, if you know, I was yep. writing at like 2 a.m. that I finally flip-flopped on yep. Bieber and Glasnow. And, uh, I mean, this is what happens. I sit down and I just kind of like remove myself from everything. Same and it thing. Got in, the process. The, yeah, the, trust the process. Yeah, and uh, trust the process. Both of us <laughs> do. We dive in and you start to really change things around. Um, with Eduardo, the problem is, well, he doesn't – okay, it's always the concern of that knee. Which balks more than Dylan Floro. I'm sorry to make that joke, but I love it. Uh, <laughs> you're welcome, Mariner fans. Um, but no, the fact that he hasn't had 140 innings in any season thus far is very concerning. <laughs> That's four years he's had to do that, and he hasn't because of that knee for the most part. Also, the fact that he's never had a whip better than 125. I don't Arm- like that. Army. His IPS, his innings per start, is low often. So even though he does have that really good K percentage fueled by that changeup, it's still not going to be uh, uh, represented that often because he's not going as deep into games to face as many batters to get to, to that third express pitch. that that K percentage. Sure. So those things adding up that the innings, the fact that he's never had a ERA in the underneath 380 thus far, um, I just felt like I had to keep making excuses for him to say like, no, no, this is why he's going to get better. Then I look at his repertoire, and I don't. I don't know what changes. You're using my I don't words know against what he does. This was my exact uh, argument against you. And now, I, well, I had, I had I my, my my belief before was that the cutter slider was better than it was. Sure, sure. And I, I don't believe that anymore. I don't believe that as much as I used to. This changeup was really good. The fastball is fine, but I mean, I guess I, I needed to see another season. We were doing this last May or yeah, so. I think yeah, it was, it was early. The fiery, 
side and, cast. And not to, you know, cop out, because I'll stick to the ranking uh, of Eduardo Rodriguez, but to cover myself just a smidge, like I said, the glob really, that first glob really starts at 30 for me. So to have him 39, you have him 15 yeah. spots lower. Um, and let's see, who do you have? at My 54 is Anibal Sanchez. And yeah, I could understand, you know, taking uh, Bieber's two spots ahead. Skaggs is right after. And so we are in that tight spot. But um, one thing I do like, though, too, about Rodriguez, and again, I've referenced it a few times, and it's not something that I base any strategies on. It's more of like a tiebreaker type of deal. But he is on Boston, and he did pop 13 dubs last year. And so there is a higher win probability, even though they are very difficult to project. Yeah, I get that. That doesn't mean you ignore them. So, you know, uh, but everything you're saying makes sense. And I I totally agree with the lower half. That that definitely scares me. One thing I do like, though, is – and I've always said I'll bet on the skills and hope that the health piece can stick. If we can finally get that 175-plus season from Eduardo, I think we could see something really nice in the in the 330, finally get that first below 125 whip, maybe like a 118 and 27% strikeout. Something like that is like a, like a dream season type of deal. So, so my, I guess my question is what part of his repertoire do you think will improve? I think to really take off, he'd have to improve the fastball. Um, it, it's been okay. it's been a plus pitch, but I think it would need to go next level mm-hmm. because and then almost focus fastball changeup um, almost exclusively. Um, and and by fastball, I'm also including the cutter, even though they are they do have a separation and it is a unique pitch. But but almost to shoot the slider completely, and really just kind of work those three pitches: the fastball, cutter, change. And and then you can get to the if the fastball is better, you get to the change more more readily and and maybe start using it even in earlier innings because you made a good point about not getting deep enough in the games to really feature the changeup. But if you've got a much better fastball, I think you can feature the changeup a bit better and maybe get it back to the six point three pitch valve that we saw last year. So I think I think it does still hinge on on getting a better uh, foundational pitch for Eduardo Rodriguez. Sure. I uh, the interesting thing about I mean this is I, I fascinate. This is all this stuff so fascinating to me. I, I I love the the Fangraphs game log, and I always look into it to see pitch usage and if there's a correlation between plate discipline and all that fun stuff. And uh, I found uh, there was like a nine game stretch when Eduardo Rodriguez had like a sub nine percent swing strike rate, and Gross. that changeup was just disappearing on him. There are some games that this is by far his best pitch. He threw it 6% of the time in one game, 9% in another. Those are back-to-back games, by the way. Yeah, and that's 18% usage in those nine starts that I have right now. It, it This is scary to me that he doesn't have that third option. That's fair. That he really believes in either. Um, I, I would really hope that there is a better third option. Maybe it is that slightly really improves or that cutter, instead of just being a zone pitch, turns into it. I think it's fastball. I don't, I, I don't know if we can squeeze anything more out of it. It has a 10% swing strike rate right now. No, he actually does a decent job of elevating it. He I, called it a plus pitch. I texted him Zach Wheeler's phone number, and I said, talk to my boy <laughs> Zach and get your oh, fastball man. on that Zach oh, Wheeler. I love Zach Wheeler. Me too. Get your fastball on that Zach Wheeler beat, and then you're going to take off. No, like I said, um, this is not going to be a fiery side on, on Eduardo because I totally agree. He's um, a front-end globber for me because – I maybe just out of a legacy because I've liked him in the past and I'm still kind of hoping for that breakout a little bit. Um, but you could name honestly 
most of the names that I have between our 39 and 54 gap on my own list that I would take. Like, I'm not sure I can sit here and tell you truthfully, stare you dead in the eyes and say that I wouldn't take Joe Musgrove ahead and I have Musgrove at 47. I love that we have it. We have like the same with Musgrove and Jimmy Nelson. Yes. I didn't think that anyone else would have two people. And we didn't. Those two people in the top 50. We, did we didn't talk. We didn't coordinate see on no. anything. And we both had them literally two I spots sure, apart. I make sure not to look at Spores rankings. I don't look at anyone's rankings. See, I, I thought you were some sometimes. I, I'm like, don't show this to me. I thought you were dropping your list on Monday, and so I was like, mm. I got to get this done, locked and loaded. <laughs> uh, you know, Monday morning, so that I have it. And then if he does drop it, I'll just put mine out right after. Well, then I waited, and mm. you hadn't dropped it, so I dropped it in the middle of the day. And then I texted you. I was like, Oh, where's your list? You're like, No, it's coming out through through parts throughout the week. So I was like, Okay, good. That way I wasn't influenced because same thing can happen. Oh. Uh, Pollock has this guy right. here. Why do you have him here? I was like, I don't want influence. We don't just, want this. Just want my own <laughs> ranking. So, um, yeah, that's Eduardo Rodriguez. And again, I think philosophically, we kind of come out in, in a similar area, despite mm-hmm. the 15 spot difference. And that just speaks to the glob. Uh, let's talk about this last one here, because I even put in made a parenthetical reference to you said Chris Archer, who I actually don't even love. <laughs> right. Uh, Isn't that funny but, when we have to like talk about this? We're like, oh, God, I have to defend this guy. Yeah, I don't I'm want 16 to. <laughs> spots higher. And I'm like, I do not love Chris Archer. But uh, one thing I might say. Um, Just as the instant pushback based on an argument or discussion that we just had a moment ago would be that uh, he's basically a right-handed Robbie Ray to a degree. Sure. I knew that's the argument you're going to make. Yeah, with a better walk rate countering the fact that his strikeout rate isn't quite as elite, but he also has the Mm -hmm. innings. So if you're talking about volume of strikeouts, so the bottom line, I think they would be kind of similar there. And that's probably my main pushback to just to say, well, if you're going to have him there, uh, why would why would Archer be all the way down at 56 versus 30? So that that's probably my main thrust that I could say yeah. because I've been out banging the drum against Archer for most of the offseason. So I have a hard time really mounting a spirited case to say you need to move him up. <laughs> I mean, it's really just that I don't I think there's a sizable gap between the ratios between Ray and Archer. And that's obviously something that we're, we're not on the same page with as far as projecting. Well, I don't want to say projecting, but. Something that we expect from from Ray, um, right. I I really do think a three six ERA is very very reasonable from Ray with a knot with with a whip underneath one thirty. While I see Archer and I see yeah one thirty whip is probable with a four ERA or maybe even higher. Uh, I don't really see his path to breaking back out. It's been three years, three years of four plus ERA. Yep. I mean it's right, right around four, but still. That's really concerning for me. That hurts my team. Understood. That's detrimental. Understood, particularly so I, in 12-teamer. I think you can live with that. That made four, me separate it. That 402, 407, you can live with that in a 15-teamer with what you're getting elsewhere. But in a 12-teamer, sure. it really does start to be something that can kind of push uh, negatively against your team. So, yeah, again, I'm not going to go over the top trying to defend Archer because I just – I, I, I share a lot of the similar concerns <laughs> yeah. for him. Uh, let's move on to some some pointed questions here, and we'll start with – is Nick Pavetta our next Luis Castillo? It can't be. I don't have Pavetta at 20. <laughs> okay. You know what I mean, though. It's not It's not exactly one-to-one. He didn't put up an 89-inning run the way Castillo did. But my, I guess my question is, um, you know, giving a guy a pretty substantial rank, you have him, what, 33? And mm-hmm. I have him um, right by there, 38. You know, we're, we're almost dead. Yeah, there. we're in the 30s. Um, without... A lot of backing for it, right? He has a career 533 ERA, 140 whip, 
17% strikeout minus walk rate because he's got a great strikeout rate, but he's been a home run machine. He gives up too many hits. So again, it's not a one-to-one comparison, but just the, are we ranking a guy? Are we betting on the come a little bit too much with somebody with our ranking here of Nick Pavetta? And if not, why not? I I think there's just development left to be had. Mm -hmm. Uh, He has the skills um, that I believe dictate a much better season than we saw last year. Again, I know I know there's volatility here, and I mean I have them right next to Tanaka, which is they're very similar in my mind, of uh, being these home run machines, but having a ton of strikeout upside as well. And I could I could see Pavetta having a sub four E rate really easily. Um, I think there is a little bit more wiggle room for him to get better than Tanaka because it's three pitches that I think should excel. Uh, it's a fastball, four seam fastball that he gets up very well and then tunnels that way the slider and curveball. I just need to see his usage to follow the the way that I want it to be. Um, it was close to it last year. It's about 40% of breaking balls. I want to see him go to 50% between that curveball and slider. And then fastball, which is currently at about 60%. I want him to pull that down much closer to 50 as well. I want to really split it. And I think if he does that, then things should be really successful for him. I mean, we saw so many great games with him. I mean, he's a we cherry did. bomb at the moment. Yeah, we saw Pavetta be great at times. And, and there's sometimes he just got so unlucky, and it was so frustrating. He did. If you really watched a lot of Pavetta starts, which both of us, of course, did, um, just the the one hit here that would spur an inning, and 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 the home run there, and there were even some homers that I can picture in my mind that were almost caught even. And of course, if you're giving up a hit that uh, has to be robbed as a home run, it's not like you did right. right there, but it's like the glove is worth three inches from getting out of the inning, and instead it's a three-run homer, and it's just like. Things did go against him too. Let, let's say, let's say the Phillies also signed Machado. Let's just throw that yeah. out there. I'm not. I did not make this ranking based on this. No. But let's say that. Then all of a sudden, that infield defense is really good. That's a great call. And that's a that's a difference from last year. Um, Michael Franco, oh, go away. Oh, man. I like Franco's <laughs> this, bad. I'm, but so, man. I'm yeah. so scarred. I'm so scarred by like being a fan of Nola over the years and having yep. Franco in the hot corner. Yep. Oh my lord. The DH. <laughs> uh, the DH can't come soon enough to the NL because somebody like oh, Michael man. Franco would be. Perfect as you can slot right, right. in there, um, uh, or maybe move him to first and Hoskins off to DH. But either way, I agree. If Machado came and then all of a sudden you're talking about uh, Hoskins at first, Cesar Hernandez and Gene Segura up the middle, and Machado at third, whew, that looks good. Right. So I, I think that's we're also really new on Pavetta. Um, I don't think that what we've seen so far defines him quite yet. Yep. We've just seen two seasons. Uh, we haven't seen a, more than 170 innings in one year yet, just because he's young. I think he's going to be better this year to deserve a higher IPS. Okay. I, I just see it all just kind of going his way. And it's like, you know what? That's a very good possibility for me. So I'll put him at 33 when the guys below don't have that same ceiling. Yeah. So I figured I'm, I'd go after him. I'm already tabbing Pavetta is, is what I call a wide awake sleeper, which um, is just that That's guy right. who ends up on every sleeper list who's actually not a sleeper. He costs <laughs> he costs a perfectly full price, you know, pick 155 in, in NFBC leagues right now. So, of course, you're looking at a, a 10th, 11th round pick type deal and sometimes ranging as high as an eighth round pick. So he's not really a sleeper, but there is certainly upside that can be uh, that can be garnered from the profile that we've seen out of Nick Pavetta. So that was one that we're in tandem on. So that wasn't mm-hmm. directed at you. That was more directed at us. And uh, I agree with what you're saying. All right, next one. You've preached some Jack Flaherty concern uh, down to the point yes. of calling him uh, the next Lance McCullers based primarily on being a two-pitch guy, not so much the injury situation. But then you slotted him 22. And my question so, was, what up with that? And I literally put, well, what up well, with I, that? I, I, 
I thought I thought everyone would be higher on Jack Fleury. <laughs> See, I don't look at this stuff. I don't look at the rankings and everything. But I assumed I'm, I wrote my blurb thinking like, oh, everyone's going to put him in like 16 or something like that. Dude, I hope people don't do that. And Please. and here I am. I put him at 22, being like, all right, I'm not going to take him with the Tyone and Clevenger and Wheeler. I expect them all. I expect people to be taking Flaherty instead of those. And all of a sudden, I'm like, everyone's like, no, 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 we're on the same page. As yeah, he, like, oh, he's well, the 21st starter right. in NFBC leagues. Um, yeah, I'm at 22. You're uh, you're in lockstep with the market, which I thought you'd be a little bit lower. I'm at 27, well, well, so it's not like a chasm for us. Right. But I lean well, closer to the move away as opposed to. So type. so I I I, I want to reiterate this where I have a guy at 22, but it's I I think the price I'm actually going to have to pay isn't actually something I'm going to do. I'm just going to get something else at that moment and then come back to my rank later. Um, if that makes sense. But he fits like, your I, your rank perfectly, wouldn't you? Somebody who fits perfectly with what you where you have them ranked and what the market charges well no no but yeah but i think of everything else why would i do that when i can get someone that i i i like someone where the market is down on them so i'll go after that guy I won't sure so at the guy that is but you have to get with the market. So, like i mean you have to get some guys at the top right and sure yeah. and yeah that i mean the ones that i currently like at value would be tyone clevenger wheeler mm-hmm. i just thought part. with the concerns and, that you yeah. had you wouldn't have him top 25 i was just jarred sure, that's by fair that. so do tell I mean, us then, more about clarity's profile and what yeah, you like i well okay what i like and what i don't like what i don't like is the fact that he had a 5.4 ips and a 9.6 percent walk rate i put IPS, out a tweet innings per start just for sorry folks thank you know. yes yeah flaherty uh flaherty's a weird apple in the sense that only four stars including him I've had an ERA lower than 3.5, a 25% strikeout rate, and, and with 150 plus innings in the past uh, four seasons. Sorry, and also a walk rate north of 9.5%. Francisco Liriano did it, Tyson Ross did it, and Robbie Ray did it. That's not really the best names to be associated with. <laughs> not um, for, not for stability. Yes, exactly. Right. Now, the reason, like, writing that stuff. You would think, okay, I have him at 30. I have pretty much right at Robbie Ray or so. The reason that I didn't, the reason that he's at 22, is that I could fathom that this young pitcher develops. Exactly. That he gets better. That he has a curveball that he's working on and that gets better too. And the difference between him and Lance McCullers, um, obviously the, the walk rate and the IPS and being too pitch. Uh, well, Flaherty's fastball is actually good. It's not bad. Uh, McCullers always never really had the second or third. It was his fastball. It wasn't ever really good. But Flaherty's is good for Seamer. He does a really bad sinker that he has to stop throwing. And Flaherty. It's like a broken record. I should just have a sound for that by now. <laughs> and Flaherty hasn't had the health concerns. Right. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's still young. There's still time for that. This is the best part of your uh, write up. This is a conservative ranking of Flaherty, in my view. And you're right in line <laughs> with the uh, with, with the market there. But, uh, you know, that point that you made about the the. IPS and and walk rate strikeout all that sort of stuff with the Liriano Ross Ray group is particularly alarming and that's part of the reason that I'm a little bit cautious on him because I do think there's a lot more volatility in Jack Flaherty's profile than the market believes right now. It's not right. that I don't you know that's not that I'm not impressed by a 30% strikeout rate from a rookie who has the pedigree and I know you're not a big pedigree guy but like he he panned out right for the so far right right off the top he panned out for year one of somebody that had high expectations. But I think we need to dial it back before I, prospect growth isn't linear, right? He could come back down this year, learn some things, then shoot back up in, in 20 and plateau for 2021, 20, 22, you know, th- stuff like that. So 
he's just not somebody I'm going to be buying in on this year, Jack mm-hmm. Flaherty. Yeah, I understand. All right, next question here. Now, this one is a little bit of a uh, little bit of a oh, thinker. Man. This one says, how is pitcher A different from pitcher B since 2016? Pitcher A has a 393 ERA, 133 whip, 389 FIP. He's got a uh, – I'll just – I won't re- – to cut down I, some I of the numbers, guess. I'm going to say it's tw- It's just a 20% strikeout minus walk rate because they both have 20%. I'm pretty confident. And a 13% swinging strike rate. Player B – 412 ERA, so not that like 18 points difference. 128 whip, actually better than player A. 364 FIP, uh, which is 15 points better. And then also the same 20% K minus BB and 13% swing strike rate. Those are both the same. He did it in 551 innings. Player A was in 460 innings. Do you know who these two players are? This is yeah, it's pretty easy. It's got to be Robbie Ray and Chris. It is, and we've already talked. We did just talk about him. I know, and I was like, I I almost transitioned right to it, but that would obviously give it right away. Well, you want to know one of one of the biggest differences is that Robbie Ray has three pitches. Okay, that that Archer that that to me, but that to me shows that path to the upside because it's it's yielded the same results. Well, okay. I mean, since 2016, we weren't high on Ray in 2016. He improved vastly in 2017. Obviously, not sustainable. I get that. But Archer, here's the thing. I'd rather take the guy that is going back and forth than the one that is just being that. Archer has been this for three years. Ray hasn't. He's gone up and down. I'd rather the up and down. You're right. Because then there is success in there. Twenty-six spots, I think, is the most egregious part for me. I understand your, your pushback. Same. We went over this, <laughs> but yeah, that was that's a fun thing. Did you like that one? I, I I was I was again, and I just got done talking about how I'm not like obsessed with Archer. So this isn't a move right. Archer way up. I think it's just a continued campaign to move Robbie Ray down. <laughs> well, it's actually funny. What if like if I just move Archer to where you have him, then everything is fine. Pretty much. Well, wait. I have Ray at. You have Ray underneath Archer. Yeah. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, 40 and 43. If you moved Archer, if you moved him from 56 to like, yeah, to like 45, I think. So for me, or Pal- for me like a 10 spot rank. You have Shane, Shane Bieber. I'll, I would rather go with Shane Bieber. I don't know if I would. I can, I can see him. I don't, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't see her. Archer. I don't see Archer having like a anything better than a 3 ERA this year. You, you can't I just don't see it. any growth. I mean, I, I, don't, I, I don't know theoretically I could, but in no way am I going to anticipate that. We talked about this during the trade deadline. This was the worst spot for him to go because they're just going to focus more on the fastball, which is exactly what we don't want from Chris Hart. Right. I'd almost rather him become Corbin and go just full in Extreme. on the sliders. Yeah. And um, well, and I would say hurt. that the 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 fastball of Corbin actually should not be understated. About how well he's spotting it to set up that slider. True, true. I just, I just meant in Archer terms of, have, yeah. of diving in on slider usage. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I too yeah, am worried about um, any real growth from Archer. So again, th- this whole this whole setup was more to say, bring Robbie right now. <laughs> All right, <laughs> it's only three spots, so I'm not freaking out. But why okay, Bauer okay. over Snell? And again, since 16, 357 ERA for Bauer, 126 WHIP. 26% K, 8% BB, 3.45 FIP in 542 wow. innings. Since 16 for Snell, 2.95 ERA, 1.23 WHIP, 27% strikeout rate, 11% walk rate, three, the same 3.45 FIP. 
So the main question is probably why not just have them right next to each other? Well, okay. I you might know this site. It's called Rotographs. Uh, I wrote an article site. on it. That's not a bad site. <laughs> I would check it out, y'all. Fantasy. I wrote, it, I wrote an oh, article. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Now it's the fantasy. Yeah, that's right. Thing. I like it. It's good. Um, I wrote an article last year about this time about how Bauer went from a cutter to a slider midway through 2017. Mm-hmm. He has been doing this not for a year, but a year and a half. And you're Both taking the numbers right. from two, 2016 for Bauer. Well, Bauer just wasn't the same pitcher. Okay. He, he transformed in the middle of 2017. Okay. Those are the numbers that I that I care about from him. And I, the crazy, yeah. I don't know that chopping off 16 would help your case, though. Well, I, just I will did say that this. Since July, no, no, no. But since July 27th, when he started doing this with a slider, through, so that's... July 27, 2017 through 2018, it's a 228 ERA, 30% K rate, 113 whip. That's what it is for Bauer. Okay. So that's, to me, who he is. And the stuff beforehand, I understand he had all this time, whatever. He wasn't using that slider. And fine, you didn't want to buy in that second half last year. You didn't want to take that gamble. Okay, now we have a full year of doing him doing that. And he was still as excellent as before. He actually was even better with a better whip. In that time, yeah, you know, uh, one or for Bauer. Bauer might have won the uh, Cy Young if he stays healthy. If he doesn't get hit by that comebacker, right? Well, that's the thing too. Is that the, that's the other uh, negative against Bauer is he's never thrown 200 innings. But if you look at his career, either he just wasn't good, so the Indians weren't letting mm-hmm. him go, or the fact that he wasn't in the rotation fully last year, and then he was, and everything was great, and then he got hit in the line in the in the leg. It's not that he doesn't have it in him to go 200 innings. I agree with that. He just hasn't really gotten the opportunity. So I really feel that this is a 200 inning season of a sub three ERA with like a 110 WHIP and a 30 percent K rate from Bauer, and I feel more strongly about that than I do uh, Sell giving up those same numbers. So that's that's why it's it's more for Bauer than Sell for me. Okay. Another think fast tidbit for me. I love that Bauer is a cerebral guy and, and thinks and tinkers and, and fixes. I, I hope he doesn't overfix himself out of something where, where he well, has like a, a bad start somewhere and tries to make a big alteration and, and it, you know, goes too far that, that again, there's not a lot I got that, that, okay. uh, that I can, that's not a uh, statistical argument in any stretch, but that I do have a little bit of that concern fair or not with, uh, sure. with Bauer, but I do, I have him at 13, which is actually kind of low compared to the market. I'll admit that. But I don't dislike Bauer. Um, I have Snell at nine. You actually have Snell at eight. We're, we agree on Snell, but you have Bauer at five, which was aggressive. Yeah. But I, I respect it. And I understand what you're saying. His stuff is great. It's there. Like it, Bauer Bauer can go off. Yeah, yeah. Is Bauer going to be your AL Cy Young pick? Uh, he might be, yeah. Just to I mean, go as the number one Indian. Yeah, just to go a Just little, because I don't want to go with yeah, Sale. Yeah, exactly. Just you know, to go a little off. I, I'm with you on those picks. Like, yeah. I, could, I could take Max and Sale or Max and Verlander, and it's like, I hope Verlander wins because I love Justin Verlander, but I like to go a little bit off and try to try to pick something a little bit sneakier. So, okay, I I might have dived deeper on Bauer. You might, you might have. You might have that slider he introduced has a 21% swing stuff. His stuff is hot. I, I I don't disagree with that at all, and I do think some of his walks walk rate is calculated to be that way. What we're talking about, maybe he needs to teach Bieber to do it. Stop giving in, walk these guys, go at the next guy. I right. definitely think Bauer I mean, is very open to doing that. If he's 3-1, yes, you're not 100%. getting a cookie. 
I'll walk you and I'm going to take on this next guy because he doesn't care if it's the cleanup hitter coming up next. He has no fear. And I do like that about Bauer. So, okay. Uh, next question. This one was surprising to me because of uh, the, what, what happened here. My Merrill Kelly ranking, which was 105, Brad Johnson tabbed as bold in the comments. Now, I just said bold, and I guess I he could say – I guess bold could mean it was boldly low or something, but I imagine it's because he thought it was high. But you have a, a really nice 69. Let's discuss. If he thought mine was bold, he probably thinks yours is insane. Um, but for the most part, I, I, I care less about the rankings discrepancy and more about just talking about Merrill Kelly and what your expectations are for the new uh, Arizona Diamondback who's coming over from – is it from Korea or Japan? Which one was he in? Uh, he's coming from Okay, Korea. so he's from the KBO. And uh, mm-hmm. I think this year he won't slide as far under the radar as Michaelis did last year because of Michaelis' success, which I wouldn't necessarily just do that because another guy was successful. Michaelis seems mm-hmm. to have a better profile. But talk to us about Kelly and what you like out of him this year going to the uh, Diamondbacks. Coming back. I mean, we'll say this. I, w- I had Michaelis around like 59, 60 last year. And I have Kelly lower. I... It's an obvious comparison. If you had him up there, well, it was just one of those things. I'm just hearing yeah. about the reports. I heard about the reports right now. Mary Kelly, uh, and so that's that's how I was in on on Michaelis. It wasn't even my own. I give all the credit to him for even ranking him. For if anybody drafted him because you saw where I had Michaelis, go thank Tim McLeod. He told me. <laughs> um, well, it was more of a case of why why are we not doing this um, again? It, there are so many darts to throw. And for someone that has had success in some fashion here and there, sure, go after Michaelis there. Now for for Merrick Kelly, well, it's supposed to be a little worse command, but more strikeout upside than Michaelis. That's the report, and because there's obviously going to be comparisons between the two coming mm-hmm. um, from Asia to uh, to America, back to the to States, America yeah. now, right? So when you talk about the repertoire of, of Kelly, you're talking about like a '94. Or so fastball that he can touch a little bit higher than that at times, 92, 94. Uh, you have a fantastic circle change that he pairs with it. And then he has a good slider and a curveball as well. Uh, I Again, I don't really know what to do with Marikella. Because I didn't really know, I put him here at 69. Okay. I could see that you just want to take him. You'll know after the first week how you feel about how we feel sure. about Marikella. And, and, we'll, and then you can move we'll on. We'll learn some in the, off, in the uh, spring as well. Right. But that's that's one of the cool things that I am valuing a bit in these ranks is that I want to be able to know quickly. I know that the first month of the year is the most important one for roster spots because I want to be in on as many things as I can be. And then, then hopefully when the dust settles, I have a good team for the rest of the way. April is when you want to get all those guys because they're going to be there are a lot of hot I- no. items that all of a sudden you don't know which one's true. You don't know which one's You're false. You're not afraid of making a and bad move, right? Because when you, when you oh, turn – there's going to be you're going to cut the guy who breaks out. You know you're going to cut Zach Wheeler because he had three bad and I don't know what his trajectory was, but I'm I'm doing a theoretical like he has bad three bad starts in April, so you cut him, but you go pick up somebody else because you're just burning and churning, and then he goes and beasts for somebody else. You have to be comfortable possibly making oh, those that's mistakes. Going, that's going to yes. happen. But I will say with Merrill Kelly, we'll know more definitively early than I agree. others because we'll get spring and training. That too. has value. That has value to it innately right now it's not about necessarily the sunk cost but it's just about i know how i'll be able to assess later better than others so because he has that opportunity right away and we'll be able to see okay does he have swing mix miss stuff in the majors maybe maybe not if he does great then i feel really happy with that pick at 69 
If he doesn't, then all right, fine. I can move on and go after someone else. But the thing is, there are a lot of guys after 70 that after one or two starts, I won't know. I still won't. I'll still be uneasy about it, and I won't have that confidence either way. I think I'll have more confidence in my assessment uh, shortly with Kelly. So that's why I have him a little bit ranked higher than okay. others. No, and I, I can I can definitely get behind that. He's someone I'm going to be zeroed in on, Merrill Kelly, for the Diamondbacks throughout spring to see if I need to move him up because I'm not going to get caught um, missing out on somebody who could come over and 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 really take off the way Michaelis did. And I'll actually have to talk to Tim. I didn't get to see him uh, and talk about Merrill Kelly. I saw him, but I didn't get to talk about Merrill Kelly this uh, th- this past fall the way I did Michaelis. So, all right. Last question I had on here was anybody off my list that you want to discuss based on where I ranked them. So I'll turn turn the mic over to you. You let me know, and uh, and then you can question me a little bit. Well, all right. I was I want to hear your thoughts about Bumgarner at twenty two. There's a lot of discussion about him. He's actually becoming the popular pitcher. Yes. To hate. Which is annoying because I don't like him and I don't want to be a conformist. Yes, uh, you, listen, <laughs> but <laughs> my dad um, is oh, oh, an avid. Uh, it was an avid better, you know. Always, always liked handicapping and, and betting on games and whatnot. And one of the rules I learned young as a kid: you don't want to be with the public. You don't want to really be with the public more often than not. Fade the public. And now everyone's against Bumgarner. And that's not why I'm not against him because I didn't know that the whole public was going to be when I first started buying yeah, back in, in in the fall. But for me, the, again, 10th reference to him. Hopefully he's listening and twirling his mustache. Think little <laughs> think fast action here because I don't I can't I can't map out a great statistical argument based on 2018 of why you should stick with Madison Bumgarner. But I also say. Let's not be so recency bias locked in and only – but he's, that's not all he is. That is the most recent. It should be weighted the most heavily, but it's not the only thing that should be weighted. And he still has an excellent career to date because even the the wobbly 2017 was a 332 ERA 109 whip, and I'm taking that all day. So last year was still 326, 124. So even that, the crappy quote-unquote Bumgarner was still plausible. And if you don't think that he can rebound, first off, he has protection with half of his games in in San Francisco. So that builds in some cushion while he kind of figures things out. And I'm just not ready to quit a guy who we know has has kind of that uh, that grinder work ethic. Sometimes it can be a detriment pitch through injury and you don't have all of it there. I think Verlander had that some a bit in Detroit when he was pitching through that core surgery. Other guys might have just jumped on the DL and, and not pitched. He's like, no, I'm 86%. I can pitch at 86%. I'm still better than most fourth, fifth starters out there. I think Bumgarner has a little bit of that. But until we learn otherwise, I'm betting on him coming into the spring healthy. And a healthy Bumgarner is still a top 22, what I have, 22, top 22 pitcher to me. And potentially even higher, to be honest. But I put him at 22 right now. And I'm just not willing to bury this guy at age 29 who's had such an electric career with only one meh season on his ledger in 2018. It wasn't even bad. It's a 326 ERA 124 whip. There are warning signs. The velo is coming down a bit, but it was it, – wait, actually it isn't. Why, why do I keep hearing the velo is a problem? It went from – it's been 91 for three straight years. I keep – Well, right. The uh, – I mean – the thing is that the skills, 2007 to 2018 that you're quoting, 
Everything pointed 18, the other direction, but he overperformed eight, it. 18 both, specifically both years. because it was down to a 12%. The 18% strikeout minus walk rate in 2017, I'm not as concerned about because the home runs are why he had a 395 FIP in 17. And I didn't I didn't really believe that home run rate, and it came back down to a more palatable 0.97. So um, mm-hmm. the, the 12% strikeout minus walk from 18 is concerning for Bumgarner. But again, I don't think that's all of who he is, and I, I'm reluctant to just go off of 18. I think, I think this happens way too much in fantasy. We 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 preach don't be don't fall for recency bias, and then we all do it repeatedly. And so for me, I'm just betting on a track record here, and I'm willing to take this bet because I think that my low end. I think I think what this all boils down to this rant or this uh, rambly tangent here is that he has a high floor. Because I think even if uh, he doesn't quite get back to Bumgarner levels and the ERA and whip both go up a bit, what is it, like 350, 128? That wouldn't be great, especially if it was with the 20% strikeout, right? I'm not saying that would make your season, but it's not killing my season either. And I still believe that sub three potential with 20 plus percent strikeout minus walk rate is still in Bumgarner's back pocket. So I just refuse to quit. Okay. So this is the problem I have. Um, I mean, when you're talking about velocity dropping, well, in his heyday, it was like 92, 93. Sure. Last three seasons, 91.5, 91, and 91. Uh, the last three. So it's going down, but I understand it's not the last two seasons, everything fine. I'm concerned about that fastball. Uh, the last two years, it hasn't been good. Uh, and that is really a problem because Bumgarner throws from that weird arm angle. Mm-hmm. And I preach this all the time. I don't like guys that have weird arm angles. Manaya's command goes out of whack. We have Jake Arrieta's command go out of whack and feel and that's gone. Adam Adovina goes through his moments where it's just, nope, don't know what's going to happen today. Uh, this happens often. Weird mechanics eventually breed uh, loss of feel. And I think the last two seasons, we're really seeing Bumgarner lose the feel of that fastball where his swing strike rate has dropped significantly. Uh, it was around 11% plus for four straight years, and all of a sudden it's 10.2% 2017 and 9.2% last year. That's concerning to me, especially when you is he's not throwing 92, 93 anymore. He's throwing 91 and losing feel on that fastball, not commanding it like he used to, which means that that curveball had to overperform in order to have any sort of success last year. And then, of course, you also see his near 8% walk rate last year, which is really startling, but I think that is a product of him losing that feel for his fastball. But... You can make the argument, hey, he's hurt, and this is something that will get corrected. That's and he fair. still had a and 64% think, first pitch strike rate, which is in line with his career mark. So for me, I don't well, worry about yeah, that so I much mean, on Bumgarner with the walk rate. Because the 8%, okay. it, it doubled, right? It is something to point to. It is, an, it is a red flag. I do agree there. But as far as it sustaining and being a problematic um, issue going forward that I, I'm not as concerned on that. I still think he gets back to the five, six percent mark for Bumgarner. Okay. I'm just, I'm really concerned about that heater. And uh, it's something that I don't know if, I don't know if he was really hurt the both years and also now he's healthy. He's just going to get that feel back again. Uh, I don't like betting on that. At the same time, I have him, I think at 31. Yeah. I don't have him just, I'm not completely sure. hating him and I actually won't be surprised if I owned him. Just because I think a lot of people are not high on him, and hey, cool, I'll take a thirty-one, take my chances. But yeah, maybe this was something that he can, you know, that was just health, and he can fix it. I uh, I am very concerned that the fastball isn't going to go back to what it used to be, and that itself 
makes me turn away. I mean, he's not the 25% plus K rates look like they're not going to show up again. Well, maybe again, uh, that, that, that's, that, that's primarily based on last year. It was only 20, it was only 22% years. in, um, 17, but he had a 10% swinging strike rate and by your 2.5 means he could, he could sure. very reasonably get back to 25%. Like we're, we're not that far away from it in 17. So I, I really zero in on it being just the one year, and that's why I push back on what I think is mostly recency bias for folks with Bumgarner. I the fastball is a is a concern, but I think he understands it's a, a concern too. That's why he jumped it down to thirty four percent usage, a career low, and started to focus more on his secondary stuff. I do wonder if he would benefit from um, developing maybe a more primary cutter versus his four seamer, and then going uh, a distinct cutter slider curveball trio. With, well, with this change you know, I, mean, up I mean, his sliders, his sliders called the cutter often. Well, they're, I think it's multiple. Yeah, he has multiple pitches. But I'm saying as as a yeah. primary pitch. Yeah, I see what you mean. But um, yep. yeah, again, a lot of it is just betting on a track record. And uh, you know, I'm not going to go crazy with it and get Bumgarner in every league. But I'm going to have some shares because I'm just I'm not ready to uh, to completely run away here. Okay, and the um, well, the other guy I was curious mm-hmm. about, and obviously. I, I thought it'd be more of a topic of a discussion today because of how I texted you like, "Hey, you did it? Guess what? I have I have Bieber at forty five and Glasnow at what fifty, yeah. and I was like, see, we can, you know, everything is glorious.' And all of a sudden, I I see your ranking of Glasnow, and he's at what is it sixty eight, yeah. with Michael Waka ahead yeah. of him, and I'm just thinking, wait, no, I thought we were gonna, I, know. <laughs> I thought we were going to be best buds about this now, and then you do this. Sorry, I had to. <laughs> I, so, all right, I'm going to let you have your piece. Why Why are we being way too high on Tyler Glass? Well, now? you know, I've, I've covered this one uh, a bit, so I'll, I'll I'll review for those that haven't heard it because I'm still not cons- uh, convinced that he's fixed his walk rate. First off, his fix was to a league average 8% in the 55 innings with the Rays, although I will say if he can live there, kudos because that that can work you can live at an eight percent some of the higher walk rate guys if you're striking out the way you are and you have the devastating stuff that somebody like glass now does it can be beneficial however we did see and and went back while i was doing rankings and watched some of some of his work with tampa bay it was clear that he was really just trying to fill the zone more than throwing quality strikes he did amp the first pitch strike right up to 65 percent but the home run rate soared to 1.6. So I think he was showing more control than command. And and we talk about this a lot. The difference is control, you can put it in the zone. Command is you can put it where you want, whether in the zone or out. And give me command any day over control. I think uh, Bauer has more command than control. And so he can live with his 8% walk rate and still be devastating. So I'm just not sold yet that we've really fixed it. We saw some progress, but I'd almost – and. This is more tongue-in-cheek, I'll admit, but I'd almost rather have the 14% walk rate and 0.8 homer per nine than the 8% walk rate and a doubling of the home run rate at 1.6. So I still think we have a lot of ways to go. And he's only 25, and I've I've routinely said now, because I've, I've been blasted on uh, the glass now stuff quite a bit, I've said repeatedly, though, as he progresses, I'm open to changing but I am not as hopeful as others are. Like you just don't see guys who have a 12% walk rate, 13% through 197 innings, change it and become six, 7% walk rate guys. So I think the eight, 9% is really a peak. That's like the best that he can do. And that means his hit suppression needs to be on lock. 
Now the infield defense in um, in Tampa Bay is solid, and and so is the outfield defense. They had they do have solid defense, so that should help. But when you're kind of susceptible to a BABIP, I'm I'm a little bit worried. So I just can't get full bore on Tyler Glass now right now. Okay, I. Uh... The thing about Glasnow for me, I mean, first of all, I think at 50 for me, I'm like, hey, I'm not so in. <laughs> so again, I, I think was, you are. I was excited. Let me see. Uh, well, uh, really? No, I, I remember lower. seeing Glasnow you're, around like you're in the, in the, the market, 40s, uh, because, yeah, early 40s 62, or so. 62, and I, I can't count all the relievers that yeah, are there. No, no, six, but, yeah, they uh, definitely have to the, be like 18 yeah, or something. Yeah, the closest reliever is uh, Alvarado. And then yeah, Knable yeah. up. So that's, that's like, like 20 spots Probably 20. So he's in the 40s yeah. for most. Uh, yeah, 42 or something. I have him at yeah. 50. You're still uh, there. But, I, I, okay. So with Glasnow, I do think that Tampa Bay, there's a really good interview. If you haven't seen it, I was uh, the Discord uh, at Petrolist uh, directed it towards okay. me. Um, I think even Fast posted it, which was a video of him talking, I believe it was his former teammate. And it was it's the interview that I want to have. It a, was it on their podcast? Because some of his teammates do a podcast. Um, it might have been, it was a YouTube video. Um, the guy's awesome. And, uh, big beard and everything. Um, they're just talking like two pitchers talking. And that's the kind of interview that I always want. I don't want like, all right, well, how do you, you know, what are you doing in this area? How do you like the city? How, no, no, no. I want to hear what kind of stuff are you learning? What are you changing? What's the access like? You know, all that stuff. And, uh, Glasson was talking about how the Rays are so, so in, and this is a huge thing we saw with Snell about throwing up with four-seamers. We saw this also with Archer going away from that sinker to four-seamers too. They are huge on this. And that's a great thing for Glasnow going away from the sinkers in, in Pittsburgh. Uh, 100% you want Glasnow sitting at the top of the zone. Now, I looked at the seat maps, and he hasn't really been great at hitting that four-seamer up yet. Um, he is a super lanky guy, and that can be a hard thing to ever expect. Uh, but I do like the fact that that is what his focus is on now. And I do like to think that if he's missing and missing up and out of the zone, that's actually going to be beneficial for him. So he doesn't even need to have that. Uh, and I, I, and I, you're right in the sense that he could have less control, more command. Um, but I really do feel that there is an opportunity for that to happen from where he's just going to the top of the zone. That's his center of the plate. And then when he's missing, it's going up past that. Um, and that could still be beneficial paired with that whatever you want to call it, breaking ball slider or curveball. I think it's a curveball, but there are times it was thrown harder than the yeah, other one. Yeah, and it, it, and it was – They were both at 14%, his oh, curveball and slider. It's almost – it's a little it's bit of hybrid uh, Kluber type. Yep. It's it's annoying because I want him to have two pitches. Yeah. I want him to have a but slider it seems and to meld separate. Off. And, then, and then push those towards a 40% I usage agree. like his teammate Snell nearly does. And – Instead, Glasnow throws it like seventy percent of the time fastballs. I'm like, no, I, I, don't I totally do agree this. with that. You you mentioned do this. you need to bring it down to sixty percent or, or lower, and that all of a sudden I think he can he can do great things. And I still think that opportunity is there. I think Tampa Bay sees this as just a fresh mm-hmm. prospect, so there is development here for Glasnow, and the stuff is massive. Uh, so I think around fifty is where okay, cool, we can. I'll take that chance. It's right at that cusp of. I mean, I have Musgrove ahead of him and Nelson. It's not like these are yeah. You're not over the top on picks him. I'm making. Like I, I, I am right. comfortable so, with your ranking. I'm not. I'm not 
against where you have Glass now ranked. You did mention his his lankiness, his height, his six eightness. It doesn't. It help. does not help, and that is definitely something that I've I've preached concern about uh, as well with regards to what Glass now can do because taming your mechanics at that height and repeating them regularly can be very difficult and and we haven't really seen a lot of success with guys at that height and uh, in before people tweet me randy johnson because that if that's what you're going for sweet well there's also to say that glasner doesn't throw sidearm and i do wonder if throwing sidearm is better for that being being that lanky for sale right no. Well, how tall is Chris Sale? He's not quite he's eight, lanky, but he's like six five. He's hella lanky. We have the same, yeah, right, we have right. the same body type, Chris Sale and I. Yeah. That's the only oh, nice, thing we nice. have in common. Well, and we have how often you guys talk? <laughs> What'd you say? How often you guys oh, talk? Oh, regularly. He actually just texted yeah, me right good, now. Good. You yeah. still coming over to play Fortnite tonight? Yes, I am. You know, I, I used to I used to be in that group. I know we, that uh, with the the tall lanky ones. Uh, yeah, we kicked you out because yeah, you, <laughs> you have to. <laughs> You have to be an actual rail. You actually look like an adult I know, I didn't human, pay my dues. and uh, you started eating food. You're not you're not fat, but you, you <laughs> just you look like an adult human, and can't have. Oh, um, all right, I think that's going to wrap us up for the fireside. Though that's this it. was this was a fun one. Um, this will obviously not be the end of our our pitcher ranking discussions. Uh, we will no. definitely revisit them again very soon. Once your full rankings are out, uh, we'll have another conceit of some sort. I'm not sure exactly what. I think there's a deeper discussion on strategy that we can get into of, of how you want to approach a draft. Cause you had mentioned that one thing about having three within your first seven picks, then you pushed back on it. Um, and so yes. I think maybe not next week, but the week after, as we kind of really push into the middle of February and drafts start to really amp up, we will talk about something like that. I think that's a whole discussion we can do. Well, well I do, I do live stream mock drafts every week with the pitch of yes. the staff. Hopefully you can come on one and then maybe we can talk. I'd about love that. to. That sounds great. But uh, until then, Nick, I hope you have a great weekend. Stay, stay warm. What's it look like over there? Because we actually get in sleet and ice over here. So I know when it's bad oh. here, it's got to be devastating in the actual cold part. It was actually all right today. How dare so. you? I know. How dare you? Go, go make the weather bad. For you. But anyway, <laughs> have a good one and I'll talk to you next week. Take care, Spore. <laughs>